3: Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries,
1: and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time out for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Fights that one off, sends it the other way. They're going to score in the first inning again. couple of runs will score. Jake Cornenworth comes through, and the Padres take an early lead. And that's it, Well, to deep left. Dickerson, going to go. Number 10 for ha Kim, and that's lined out into right field. Burleson won't get there. Profar's on his way. He will score, and Juan Soto drives in the fifth run of the night. I'm not saying that it's a problem that Adam Wainwright has gone five to six innings and given up basically four or more earned runs and more or less all of his last four starts this month. But I am saying that I'm officially a little concerned. You won't say it's a problem. I'll say it's a problem. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We are broadcasting live at the Centene Community Ice Center and the ENB Granite Studios. It is Media Day for the St. Louis Blues. Alex will be out here with Brooke Grimsley tomorrow and Friday as the Blues officially begin the start of training camp here in St. Louis. We'll get more into the Blues coming up at 11:30. We will talk with Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, coming up at 1:30. But Alex, in Waino's last four starts, he has a 5.6 ERA. Opposing hitters are batting 360 against him in this stretch. Last night, he did not throw a single pitch of 90 miles per hour or higher. His average fastball velocity was a little more than a mile per hour below what it's been on his season average. Maybe most concerning. He's never been a velocity guy, or at least of late. He got one swing and miss, one, in the entire game yesterday on his curveball. He threw 17 of them. His swing and miss on the curveball this season is about one in every four pitches that he throws. I'm worried about him. It is not on a scale of one to ten at a ten right now. Adam Wainwright, what is your level of concern right now?
0: No, I felt. I mean, you know, I you don't all the time feel it, but you can tell when I'm not getting swing and misses, especially on my off-speed stuff. That uh, and the late bite is not there. My delivery is still not great. Um, arm swings still jacked up a little bit, but. You know, that usually lasts three, four games.
2: I mean, all of that sounds like a concern to me. I, I'm putting it at like a seven or an eight right now because when you got a pitcher who says the explosiveness isn't there and the arm just doesn't feel right and the pitching, the mechanics are off, all of that is a signal of this guy needs a break. And I was just looking at it. Has he got to skip a start at all this season?
3: No, n- nor would you expect him
2: to. Right. I, I think it's time to skip a start for him. If we're if this is seriously dead arm for Adam Wainwright, which he has talked about, and how that's where some of this explosiveness is gone, if you want this guy to be effective in the postseason, I think you need to give him a little bit of a break. And I was looking at it with Max Scherzer because Scherzer dealt with this earlier this season, and I know Max Scherzer's different than Adam Wainwright, but he skipped a start. What was it? He skipped from the third. He was hurt, and, and he started. I thought it was the dead arm that he had. I mean, he was on the IL earlier this year. Well, but I thought he talked about how he had dead arm. That's why I brought it up, because he skipped a start, or however many it was, from the 3rd to the 19th of September, and he comes back and he gives nine strikeouts for him. Again, I understand they're different players, but if this is seriously dead arm for Adam Wainwright, I don't know how you can continue to just say, like, okay, go back out there every fifth day and start, because it's obviously affecting his throwing. It's concerning though when you hear all of these things from him.
3: Yeah, I, I don't think that he needs to like go on the IL for it or anything like that because I mean, like, no, skip a start. I, I think there was some underlying stuff there when when Scherzer went on the injured list, and we know that he's had some elbow and shoulder and issues with his arm in the it, over the past year or so. With Waino, it, it just it doesn't look right. And I think this is one of those things where you guys know, if you listen to the show regularly, I'm a numbers guy. I stick with the numbers. But I do think that there is a significant part of this game where it is the eye test. And you look at, okay, what is happening that is leading to the underlying numbers? And with Adam Wainwright, he just doesn't look right right now. And he's telling you that post game. And that's maybe most concerning to me, Alex, is Waino never talks like this. He said yesterday, this is from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, quote, I'm in the battle. My arm, there's just no explosiveness to it. He continued going on and basically said, "Like, man, this is—it's really frustrating for me." And when you hear him in a post-game sound like that, for me, the comments that he made post-game were every bit as concerning as anything that we saw from him during the game. He—it's not that he sounds defeated. But he doesn't sound like a guy that's super optimistic that he's going to get right in his next start. So does that mean skipping a start? I would say no, actually. I would not skip his next start because I want him to be able to try to work through this stuff. I want him, especially against these contending teams that they're going up against, to be able to find out how is my stuff playing against these guys. I don't want to find that out in game one of the wild card round. Because if you do skip his next start, it's the last time that he's going up against a contender. Your last six games of the season are against Pittsburgh. His next start would come against them. I, you're not going to learn anything meaningful in that game. The only thing you can learn is things that are bad. So for me, I would not skip this start. I would, if he looks better in the next one, skip his start going into the playoffs. But you said you're at a what level? Scale One to ten? Seven? I'm at probably a six-ish right now. I want to see the next one. But if you're higher than that, if you are a seven, eight, nine, somewhere in that range, I totally get it. It is reasonable right now because this guy is going to make a playoff start. You cannot go into the playoffs. Excuse me. I should clarify. This guy's going to start one of those three wild card games. No matter what he looks like down the stretch, there is no way that you can reasonably skip him in that wild card round. You just can't do it because of who he is and what he means to this franchise.
4: And I'm with you there. I I, I don't think you skip him. I, I think you start him just to see if he can work through it. And I think the dead arm term is a bit... Misleading because I heard BT talking about this yesterday on the fast lane. It doesn't necessarily mean Everybody goes through that. I say, well, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean he's just like lacking power in the arm. It just means something could be off too. And he mentioned it too. His release point's still not there. And that's something that I think you fix in game and during bullpen pin sessions. So I don't think you skip him. I, I think you go out there and have him try and work through it because, like you said, you're not going to learn anything from him when he takes on Pittsburgh. You're going to learn about him in his next start when he's going up against the LA Dodgers. So I think you don't skip him. I think you throw him back out there. Am I concerned? Yeah, it's definitely risen up a lot more than what it was when we first started having these conversations. I'm probably right around where you guys are, around that six-seven range. It, Cause as you said, he's gonna get be a guy that does start in the wild card round because there's no way you can justify not starting a franchise icon like Adam Wainwright. So you're gonna live and die with him through one of those starts. And that's why it's a little bit more concerning because he's not like a guy where if Miles Michaelis continues to struggle, you can easily see him not getting a start like that. He's gonna start it's just a matter of can he find a way to figure this out? And knowing Adam Wainwright, I think he will because he's gone through this before. As you heard him saying that cut, it takes three or four starts. Well, this was the fourth start. So we'll see what it comes out to be after this moving forward.
2: I hope so. But, like, when I hear a pitcher talk about how there's no explosiveness in his arm right now, that makes me wonder if the fatigue factor is just there. And I get it. Everybody it's goes a reasonable through this. whole concern. But, I mean, if, if this is something that carries over, look at what happened into Scherzer into the postseason last year. He stopped pitching for him because he just didn't have it. So if there's one player that you're going to trust through their struggles, and look, we're having concerns of Wainwright just like we're having concerns of Michaelis. But if there's one pitcher you're going to trust in the playoffs to get it right, it would be Adam Wainwright. But it maybe it's the benefit of this Cardinals team because they do have a lot of guys who can give them length out of the bullpen and they have some depth out of the bullpen now. But... I mean, at one point you're going to be going into a wild card round and trying to take a one nothing lead or trying to even up a series, depending on where you're starting Waino. And if he's only able to give you two innings, and you have to get out of a tight jam, that's a massive blow to this team. And what if you lose him beyond that wild card round? So, I mean, I get you don't want to skip a start there, and it would be really tough to do that, especially with the Dodgers and Brewers coming up. But I'm more concerned that you lose Wainwright towards the end of the season or lose him in the playoffs, which
3: would be massive for this team. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a concern either way, though. I, I think that, like, with dead arm, I-, I-, I don't think we have a good handle on what that means for Wainwright right now specifically. Does that mean that he's not going to be able to pitch well in his next start? Does that mean that if he did skip a start, he's going to be better by the time that we get to the playoffs? I don't know. And that's the thing that's scary is I don't think anybody realistically knows. I don't think Wayno knows. Yeah. I think yesterday, Wayno went out there and he expected it to be better. Based on his postgame comments, I think that's what he was anticipating is, all right, I had a few days. I was able to work on my arm slot going into the bullpen session and nothing changed. It, it was the same issues yesterday that it had been previously I do think it is pretty impressive, honestly, that against a pretty solid lineup, he finished that game by allowing six base runners over the course of six innings, or excuse me, uh, eight base runners over the course of six innings. He had no swing and miss stuff. His first strikeout came in that sixth inning and he was basically beat by one home run ball. Now I think he was a little fortunate there. I think it could have been worse because he, he hung some breaking balls that easily could have been hit out of the park. And they just weren't because the Marine layer was so thick last night, but I, I I am impressed that he was able to battle through as much as he did. I just don't know what to make of this, man. And I, if he is not right going into the playoffs, I don't think there's anything that the Cardinals can do to make up for that. Because this is as if you were having... Goldie or Arenado going through struggles going into the playoffs you're starting them every game You're not getting away from them. They don't suddenly become platoon players. They don't become bit pieces to your roster This team was constructed so that Adam Wainwright could be a front-end starter that miles Michaelis is going to be an innings eater That Goldie and Arenado are going to be the pivotal pieces in that lineup And if those four cornerstones in particular are not living up to their expectations then this team can't go on a run in the playoffs. And I think that's why what you're saying is so concerning for me and what we heard from Waino is so concerning for me is because you do have one of those. This is like a Jenga board, right? I hate that game. And there are certain pieces that are smaller than others, and they have less impact on whether or not the whole thing's going to fall down. If you pull the Adam Wainwright piece out of the Jenga board, it starts getting pretty wobbly for this team going into the playoffs they need him to get back. So whether they listen to you, skip his next start, listen to me, don't. The person they need to be listening to is Adam Wainwright Absolutely. because he's going to have the best idea of what he needs for his body. And we're going to find out over the next five days what that looks like for him.
2: Yeah, and I hope it benefits this team. But I hope that's not the only problem that gets fixed. So because we no, have that's more the only issues problem right now. That's no, the only we problem. have way more issues than just Adam Wainwright and the possible dead arm.
3: Let's hear from Adam Wainwright. Wayno, what are your thoughts on this offense?
0: I mean, it's going to happen in a long season. You're going to have times where, uh, where things aren't clicking, you know, and uh, better have it now than in October. So we did this. I've seen us do this a couple times going into the postseason. Um, this can be a really powerful thing going into the postseason. If you can turn it around right before the end, then you get a little momentum going into it. It'll be a really good thing.
2: Oh, well, being shut out twice in the last three games and only scoring one run is a good thing come, come October? The Cardinals have not scored
3: scored an earned run in their last 34 innings.
4: They're charging well, that's, up.
2: But, but that's a good thing before October.
3: In the first five innings of their last six games, they're 16 for 103. That is a 155 batting average wow. as a team. All the young numbers. They have scored seven runs in those six games in the first half of the games. Five of them came in one individual inning, a third inning outburst against a terrible Cincinnati Reds pitcher. This offense is a disaster right now. What has happened? Where specifically has the power gone? What did they say, T-Bone? Okay. That's what we're going to get into next. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up at 1145, we'll get into some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I've got some questions about this offense and whether or not it's going to be able to get back back on track in time for the playoffs. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: gotten to this position where we built a cushion because we slugged our way there. Uh, our offense has done a really nice job to do that. And now we're going through a, a point where um, we're going to have to battle through it. it. Is uh, is it ideal? No. Will we come out of it? Yes. So, yeah. It's just uh, it's frustrating. But um, it's not because of a lack of work. The guys are going about it in a really good way. It's just not translating at the moment. We'll find a way out of it.
3: That was Ollie Mar- Marmal after the game last night, alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting from the E&B Granite Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center. We'll be here for the rest of the week as the Blues begin training camp. Alex, since the Blues la- or excuse me, since the Cardinals last scored an earned run, they scored a run, but it was in extra innings. It doesn't count as an earned run. This a whole thing. Since the last time that they scored an earned run, it's been 34 innings of baseball now. In that stretch, they have a total of 14 hits. They have struck out 24 times. They have one, count them, one extra base hit in this stretch of 34 innings. It was a double last night by Paul Goldschmidt, and they have gone one for 17 with runners in scoring position. This offense is in a bad, bad place right now. The biggest issue that I've found that they have, Alex, it goes back to that extra bases issue. They have no slugging percentage in the month of September. They're bottom 10 in baseball in this stretch in slugging percentage. The only National League teams that are behind them are non-contenders. It's the Cubs, the Giants, and the Marlins. You look at the hard hit rate last in Major League Baseball this month. You look at the line drive rate. This is what this team's supposed to be really good at last in Major League Baseball this month. What's happened to this Cardinals offense, Alex? I have no idea
2: and it's the guys that you did not expect this to happen to. It's the Goldschmidt's, it's the Arenado's, it's the Tyler O'Neill's, it's the uh, Tommy Edmonds, which I didn't think I'd be saying that at the beginning of the season. It's the Corey Dickerson's. This whole offense is based on slug, slug baby slug, right? It's what T-Bone likes to say. It's what Jeff Albert preaches. They're not hitting it right now. Maybe that does play into what Adam Wainwright is talking about because, look, sometimes the power's there, sometimes the power's not there. That is how it goes But if the power's not there, you got to have something else in your arsenal, and they don't. That's the biggest problem is they're a one-trick pony. You're either hitting doubles or home runs, or you're striking out or you're grounding into double plays. And there's got to be some type of in-between right now. And you know there's an in-between for guys like Paul Goldschmidt. You know there's an in-between for guys like Nolan Arenado. um, But there's not in-betweens for Tyler O'Neill, There's not in-betweens for Corey Dickerson or Lars Nupar or Juan Yapez, although we haven't seen him a lot yet. That's a problem. And if you don't get it back... Apparently, I'm getting emotional about this. If it's you don't okay, get man, it, sad, man. I'm, I'm broken up about all this too. My you, guy
3: Jeff Albert, he's he's under heat again, and I
2: I, I can't deal. with <laughs> that. I, I just don't like the text coming in that says to you know blame Jeff Albert. Uh, if this doesn't get righted, I, I don't I don't know if this team's getting out of a wild card round because other teams. Oh, are- it won't. They're
3: not getting out of the wild card round if this. Doesn't well, your, pitch, get
2: right. your pitching can't protect no. the offense when you're not doing when you're scoring one or two runs. So I just think right now it is a little bit of what Wayno talked about of how you're just hitting a cold spell. But the problem is, does this cold spell? or get figured out in a week or two because otherwise you're in trouble.
4: Yeah, I I don't truly believe this would be such a massive issue if you weren't running out of leeway until the postseason started because if you remember back to the first – I don't know if it was the first month or it was like a couple weeks into the season – Basically, the same thing happened. The Cardinals were last and hard hit rate, which you just mentioned. They were struggling with the slugging percentage, and they were get pop, it felt like they were popping up everything that you were watching. But the reason it wasn't as noticeable then was because you had Arnado, who was hot at the time early on in the season. That's why in the first month, he looked like an MVP favorite. And then also then Paul Goldschmidt started to come out of it. The reason it really stands out now is because guys are cold, and it's the main ingredient to your offense has gone cold as well in Arnado and Goldie. Goldie's looking a little bit better of late, but because those guys have gone cold, they are the offense. Like This lineup, to me, has no depth besides those two, and if those two go cold, you really notice it on the pieces that are surrounding them. And I think that's the problem right now, is you're just not seeing a lot of slugging coming from... Really, everybody in this order. And then with Paul Goldschmidt, Andel, and Arenado gone cold, there's just uh, no offense to speak of. There's nobody that can at least pick up the load for just a small, small like spurt here, like a week or so, can pick up the load of what Golden Arnato have brought for you this year. And I think that's why you're seeing these struggles for the Cardinals offensively.
3: This was in, like, May, right, when they were going through these issues where it it was right around that uh, series against Baltimore. I remember that was kind of when we were at the heart of it because they got shut down in that series against Baltimore. They they scored uh, three runs, two runs, and then they had that one game where they had the outburst, and everyone was like, ah, it's an all-or-nothing offense. We've seen this before. The problem is the lack of a runway, to your point, Tanner, we no longer have a whole lot of time. And we've been saying for the last couple of weeks, okay, maybe this is just because their heart's just not really into it, which would be a totally reasonable thing to happen after you had those emotional highs against the Brewers and the Yankees and the Braves. And then you play a bunch of games against the Reds, the Cubs, the Nationals, the Pirates, and the Reds again. If your heart's just not in it, there's not the same emotional investment. There's not the same intensity in those games. I get it. But now there is now you're into a series against San Diego, a team that you very well may see in the wild card round. You're going to go out to LA where those Dodgers games are going to be incredible. I mean, just the theater of being out there this weekend. I wish I could go to the games. Those are going to be incredible out there, but you looked every bit as bad last night, if not worse than you had at any point in these last few series against the non contenders. So if this continues, especially as you start seeing left-handed pitchers, with Blake Snell expected to be on the mound tonight for San Diego, you've got Andrew Heaney, Clayton Kershaw, and Tyler Anderson starting four of the next five games against the Dodgers. This is where it has to come to- together, Alex. I'm getting emotional about it too. How are you? Sorry, buddy. This is where it has to come together for the Cardinals. If it doesn't against left-handed pitching, there are no more excuses left. And at that point in time, if we get through the end of that Dodger series and maybe it's not you're getting shut out and you're not scoring an earned run for 34 innings, but it still looks bad coming off of this weekend, I will be in full-blown panic mode when we come back on the year next Monday. That's when I will reach that point, point. and my hope, my prayer, is that that is not the way that this ends up going.
2: Yeah, I mean, I said it yesterday, this road trip is a confidence builder for me, and if we keep seeing this throughout this road trip, there will be zero confidence of this team. Internally, there will be zero confidence in that team because then it becomes, okay, it becomes damage mode where you're trying to figure out, like, okay, what do we do in the circumstance? We need to get this certain guy going, and then that's when guys start doing too much, and it just becomes a snowball. So you got to find a way, like Wayno said, like you kind of have to hope that it's a three-to-four game thing and you kind of nip it in the bud. You hope that this is like a weak thing and you get out of this slump that you're in. Maybe it was just the carryover from playing the bad teams for super long And then you could just say, okay, guys, we are out of this rut now. We just played San Diego. It didn't look pretty. Now let's put our best effort
3: on the field. Yeah, that's the hope. And we'll find out more tonight. We'll find out more in this series against the Dodgers this weekend as well. More on that coming up at 12 o'clock. Somebody asks on the text line, 65780 is your comfort service text line. Which players are hitting above their career average and who is below it? Is it a production problem or a talent problem? The outfield is where you can really get an indicator on that. We'll All talk right. about it you're coming just up the at blame noon. Game. But coming up next, we're talking to an NHL network analyst that won three Stanley Cops more than 1,300 games in the NHL. He's a defenseman as well. What does he think about this Blues defensive court? We'll ask him next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's
3: not every day you can talk to a Stanley Cup champion, not once, not twice, but three times a guy that played in the NHL for 20 years, nearly 1300 games under his belt. For the New Jersey Devils, it is Ken Danico joining us here on the show. He joins us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. You can watch him on NHL Network, where they are going through the top 50 players in the NHL right now. This Sunday at 4 o'clock Central, they're counting down the players ranked 30 to 21 on Sunday. Ken, we appreciate the time, man. How are you doing this morning?
0: I'm doing fine uh, with training camp Excuse me, set to... To get underway for for every team, it's it's an exciting time of year. And uh, uh, the offseason uh, is officially over, I guess we'd say. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. We're actually
3: out here right now. The Blues are doing their media day this morning. So we, we went through that this morning. We're out here at Centene Community Ice Center in St. Louis, where they're going to be kicking off training teams nice. starting tomorrow. So it, it is officially in full bore here in St. Louis. Ken, I, I just want to start kind of big picture with you, if you don't mind. What are your thoughts on this Blues team as they lost David Perron in the offseason to Detroit, but they brought back Nick Letty? What are your thoughts on this team heading into the 2022 season?
0: Well, anytime I, I look at the St. Louis Blues and, and talk about them, they've had a lot of success um, over the last oh, five years or so in one Stanley Cup championship there first. I know uh, how exhilarating that was for the Blues fans, but they're just a team that, I have a lot of respect for Craig Brew. We played a long time against him, had to fight him a handful of times as well. <laughs> I know his competit- his competitiveness, and he gets the most out of his lineup. He doesn't worry about, you know, look, obviously that's a pretty big loss, and David Perrani, he was a real uh, clutch player for the Blues in scoring, but, but they overcome. They're one of those veteran teams that have it in their DNA that are able to overcome things, and I expect to be no different this year. Uh, they're a team that's always going to compete, contend. I would say even, and uh, uh, it's a long 82 game schedule to we'll see what transpires. But, but uh, I start with their bench boss. I, I really have a ton of respect for Barubi, I think he's one of the best coaches in the National Hockey League. And a lot of times, uh, when you have a guy like that, you get more than other teams do out of certain players, and or they're able a um, bottom six guy, you're able to elevate him to do a little bit more, add a little more offense, and and I think Craig Berube is as good as it gets at getting the most out of his team and players individually.
2: Ken, the big storylines around the Blues offseason was re-signing Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, and it's just not those guys, because so many young players around the National Hockey League, they're getting those long-term contracts, locking them up because they don't want to take the chance of what happened with Matthew Kachuk in Calgary. Uh, What? What are the challenges for a young player like Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas now that they've got that eight-year contract locked them down with St. Louis?
0: Yeah, you're seeing a lot of teams do that, right? Maybe uh, a year or two earlier than they even might have or maybe avoid a bridge contract with certain types of players that you think are cornerstones and and franchise-type guys moving forward. And I think that's the belief they have in Cairo, who had a breakout year last year, and Thomas as well. Such a highly skilled player that they think these two guys are are such a big piece in the core that you take those. I'm not even going to say risk, but you've seen so many teams do it where uh, they give them the long term deal with a lot of money, and, and these guys just uh, have to make sure they they don't feel that pressure of living up to a eight million bucks year or whatever it may be, uh, and just do what you've been doing in your progression as a young hockey player. And these two guys are very. Uh, highly skilled, talented, we know, and a big part of the St. Louis Blues uh, moving forward uh, as far as being a contender. So they they wanted to make sure they got them locked up. And sometimes when you wait too long, it's happened time and time again. And, and we didn't know if Kachuk was going to sign anyway and if he wanted to be in Calgary. And that, for all indications, it seemed he wanted to try something new. But these guys love St. Louis. I so hear most players do. And and these young guys were able to get locked up by uh, uh long term and, and I think it's a good thing, obviously, because they are two just important cogs in the St Louis Blues lineup. I always do say I mean we've done it you know I'm close with New Jersey, I do their games. We did it with Jack Hughes the year before, uh, eight years, eight million because you, you you believe in them and you think down the road it's probably going to be a bargain, and those are the risks you take.
3: We're talking with Ken Danico of NHL Network here on 101 ESPN for another few minutes. Uh, Ken, I wanted to ask you about the Blues defensive core. You certainly have an expertise in that area. You look back at the 2019 team, they had like the, the Twin Towers back there of Colton Pareco, and you had at the time a bunch of dudes that were like 6'3 and above when you look at it now, they've gone to a new identity on the blue line and it's with guys like Nick Letty, who are more puck movers. You got Justin Falk and Torrey Krug. Have you seen a shift in the league that has gone in that direction? And if so, what what do you think about that?
0: Well, look, and obviously uh, the evolution of the game and the puck moving defenseman is such an important element. Mobile. Everybody's got to be able to skate. Everybody's got to be able to exit the zone as far as, defensemen are concern and and get the puck up ice so the blues have added a little more of that for sure they did win the Stanley Cup championship what was it 2019 now uh with with a core that was bigger maybe not as as many great skaters on the back end but obviously you had your captain Petrangelo as well along with Pareko and the likes and and they were just real difficult to play against I believe you need a nice balance now I mean even with the the way the game has gone from the back end, come playoff time, you still need size, and the Blues have that. And guys that are just hard to play play against, uh, good reach, you take up space, where the ice shrinks come playoff time. During the regular season, you're able to, to get away with certain things. I think even more in the regular season, you need that skating puck-moving defenseman over an 82-game schedule just to get to the playoffs because it's it's difficult to get there but obviously I think most teams want that balance. Now you can't just go with five smallish defensemen that are puck movers and and very skilled players. I believe you need that balance and combination. I think that's kind of the philosophy now and what the blues are trying to accomplish. And uh, you know, they hope Torrey Krug stays stays healthy because he's a guy that I think can bring a lot more to the blues. We saw him so, so many years in Boston where he was you know, one of those guys, an uh, elite puck mover skater and creates a lot of offense for his team. And if he stays healthy, I think he'll have a good year as well. But uh, uh, Letty as well, he's a guy that can really skate, and uh, obviously you need that combination uh, for me anyway.
2: I was going to ask you about Letty, Ken, because you saw a lot of him during his time with the New York Islanders. Of course, you're a part of the Devils broadcast, and he really helped the team out when he was acquired at the trade deadline last year and gets a four-year contract extension. Do you feel like that's the right move for the Blues, and does he fit their uh, mentality of what they're searching for moving forward, in your opinion?
0: Well, he can skate. There's no question about it, and and there's no substitute for a guy that can really... Get the puck out of his zone, and he's had some inconsistency over. Uh, that's just my opinion over time in his career to make sure that he he balances that out. You know, as far as being sound and responsible defensively, but also uh, using his strength and that's that's skating, joining the attack, uh, making it difficult on the opponents to to just cover uh, cover the forward line and, and ladies that. That guy that pushes the pace and can really move the puck. So, obviously, they like the fit, and he's played well there in St. Louis, so they locked him up for four more years. Sometimes it, it, it's so funny when players, are, you see him, oh, talented player, one organization, maybe it doesn't work out as well. He was real good with the Islanders, but it started to diminish a little bit. Went to Detroit, and then uh, St. Louis, it, it you know, worked out for them. And then they obviously see him being a big part of their blue line this year. And and rightfully so. I mean, like I said, you you can't substitute for the skating ability of a Nick Letty. He's one of the smoothest skaters on the back end in the league.
2: Ken, final one that I wanted to ask you about on the back end for the blues is Colton Pareko. And this is the guy that I feel like is the, the biggest bugaboo topic in St. Louis, because some people believe he is a number one defenseman. Other people feel like he he can't live up to that potential. A, A big, Defenseman who doesn't play the most physical brand of hockey, but when you see Colton Pareko play, what comes to mind?
0: Well, look, I know we do NHL top 20 defensemen year in, year out. A few years ago uh, for a couple of seasons, I believe he was ranked in the top 20 in the National Hockey League, so that's kind of what we thought about him myself as well, that especially during uh, the 2019 season where he, w- he played with a little – Abrasiveness a little bit more, and it's about again. I always say consistency, but with a guy with his size, his shot, uh, pretty mobile guy for six foot five. Just want the consistency. I know it was a little bit. I, I would say, and I think the Blues fans would agree, and you guys was a little inconsistent last year for him, right? But Pareko, you know, anytime nothing's going to go perfect or smoothly uh, for any player, no matter how good you are, or how talented you are. You go through some adversity. You go through some ups, some downs. And for him, it's just go play and play with consistency. And you have that. I'm sure he's coming into training camp fired up and really wants to be that number one guy. He has the capabilities. When you're, Like I said, when you're as big as Colton Pareko and, and you can do the things he can do and shoot where a lot of defensemen shoot for a tip, a pass, he can shoot to score because he's got that heavy of a shot. And that's a dangerous element. But uh, Pareko's always been a guy that I've really liked on the back end and despite maybe last year was a little inconsistent and you just strive to to be stronger and, and a little more consistent. And yeah, play with a little play with a little edge at six foot five. That's in your DNA or not, but I'm sure you're gonna see a good year from Colton Preco. I've always been a big fan of his on the back end.
3: He's Ken Danico. You can find him on NHL Network where you can watch him on the third edition of the Top 50 Players right now. This Sunday, 4 o'clock Central, as the NHL Network continues counting down the top players in the NHL. This week is numbers 30 through 21. Ken, we appreciate the time, man. Wish you all the best as you get, uh, get going with the New Jersey Devils season, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon.
0: Sounds great, guys. Pleasure being on with you. Thanks for having me, man. Can't wait till we get going here. October's just around the corner where we get the the real stuff going.
3: (laughs) Amen to that, Ken. Ken Danico, appreciate him joining us here today on 101 ESPN. Question for you, Alex. Answer for you, BK. If I said Ken Danico sounded like one person to me, can you guess who that individual was that Ken Danico sounded like in my mind? Sounded like? Tanner, um, can you guess who the individual is? That t- can, I, I think personally, six five seven eight zero. By the way, is the Air Comfort Service X line? You guys can guess this as well. Who do you think that Ken Danico sounded like? There was one person. Very to me, he sounded like Ken Danico because I've listened to their <laughs> broadcast before. So <laughs> it, it, it it is almost identical in terms of the voice in my mind.
2: Is it a? Is it an athlete? St.
3: Louis native, I believe, very well, uh, well liked here in St. Louis. John Football Hamm? guy.
2: No, it didn't. Listen. It didn't sound like John. Haney. Dan Deardorff. He sounds exactly oh, yeah. like yeah. Dan Deardorff. Somebody like, text that in. Yes,
3: yeah. I genuinely thought Someone we were said, on the phone with Dan Deerdorf. Someone said Ed Ogeron. No, that didn't. <laughs> it's I where it's going to be I'm telling you, I thought that Dan Deardorff was on the line, and he would just happen to be talking hockey with us. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Like the the similarities Everyone's are off the Dierdorf. charts, dude. It was wild. Like even the same like. There were pauses where it was like, oh, this is definitely something That's that fantastic. Dan Deardorff would say here. It was team t did you dial perfect. the wrong number? Yeah, no, I, I no. think Tanner <laughs> got us Dan Deardorff to talk about the blues. Us. That's did what happened was there. On the awesome. line.
2: That's awesome. I love Ken Danico.
3: Coming up in 15 minutes, platooning is fine. This sounds a little bit like a cry for help, though. We'll talk about that coming up at noon. Coming up next, questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101-ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101-ESPN.
3: 65780 is the air comfort service X-line for questions and answers. This one comes from the 314. Hey guys, I saw BK mention this last night in a tweet last night. Is it officially time to shake up the lineup and try to get something going? What do you think they could do to be interesting? Oh, I missed that, BK. I blocked your tweet, so okay. sorry I missed that last night. You were asleep by the time that I tweeted. Oh, I'm I was sure. asleep by the time first pitch took place.
2: That makes sense. I'm
4: not even sure you saw first pitch.
2: Uh, let's let T-Bone uh, take the uh, floor here on flipping up the lineup All for right. the Cardinals.
4: Hear me out, because we're needing to change things up. I think we lead Goldie off.
2: Okay. I think well, think that Goldie was his opportunity. Off.
4: I think in the two-hole you go, Albert. Three-Arnado, and Good then just God. maybe Edmonds fourth. He's got the highest <laughs> OPS in September. You're going I, I,
2: the I, slowest players, 1, 2, and 3 on the team.
4: Goldie's got decent speed. Let him run. I think he leads off. That's what I'm saying. Goldie I'm gonna, lead off.
2: I'm going to stay clear it. of that. Honestly, I think I would... I think I would tr- maybe try Tommy Edmund again at, at leadoff and put Goldie at 2, Arenado 3, Donovan 4. Like, I, I just... The way I'm looking at it right now is, like, you want more at-bats for Goldie and Arnato and I know they're not hitting, but you need them to hit. Otherwise, this offense isn't going to do anything. But there's really no way to juggle this lineup around other than against lefties, you can have fun with it and put Pujols up there. I know that's, that's what your guy.
3: Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Against tonight, 90s. I would have Albert Pujols batting leadoff for me. I'm, and I'm not kidding. Like, I, I absolutely 100% would have him batting leadoff tonight. I mean, you my... got to do everything right now because I would go one, working. two, three of Pujols, Goldie, Arnato That would be my one, two, three going into the game tonight. I'd go Edmund, Goldie, Arenado, Pujols. Edmund, Goldie, Arenado, Pujols? Mm -hmm. That's fine. Or maybe Edmund, Goldie, Pujols, Arenado. Put him in the middle of the two. I'd be fine with that. that. I would, like, I just think if you're a player and you come to the ballpark and you see that Albert Pujols is batting leadoff in the year of our Lord 2022, it's, weird stuff's going on, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> it, it's something strange has just taken place. So I, I think that would get them going a little bit. They, they need a jolt. Like, they need some energy right now. You know what we should do later? What? I'll put all of the names into a random generated wheel, oh, geez. and we'll just yeah. spin the wheel and oh, see yeah. what the lineup becomes. The
2: random generator wheel that generates you picking first every week on our Pick'Em Challenge. Exactly.
4: He, he lost. I don't know why you're so upset about the wheel.
2: I barely won that's why I'm upset did you win or not Six five no, seven I eight zero
4: is the air comfort service tax well, technically I'm questions. not getting
3: shot with a paintball gun so and answers uh from the three one four hey guys what are you realistically expecting out of Colton Pareco this season honestly I'm expecting him to
2: the same I, better defensively now that he's gonna have Nick Letty with him and not wonder if it's Jake wallman or Scott Perunovich or Nico Mikola like to me My top four pair or my top two pairs are Letty, Pareko, Krug, and Falk. And I think that's going to benefit him having one guy and being that guy all season long. I think he's going to be better. I think he's going to be in less sticky situations because of his defender. I don't know if you're going to get a more physical game from Colton Pareko like Ken Danico asked. Like I know everyone commands, but I think by the end of the season, you'll be talking about him being a top pairing
3: defenseman. Final one here from the 3-1-4. Guys, it kills me to ask this, but do you think that the Cardinals miss Harrison Bader right now? I do. I, I think that they're happy that they have. I think that the trade has worked for the Cardinals. How did
2: he do last night?
3: He was good. He had two hits, a, I think, in an RBI. I think a, was it a double? or a, No, it was a two-RBI single that he had. Um, had a really nice play defensively and scored from first, I believe it was, on a, on a, well, uh, a great read. So yeah, he, he had a good game last night. Um, I think that they definitely miss him, but they also got Jordan Montgomery. It was a smart trade; yeah. like it, it worked for the Cardinals. They got exactly what they needed. And I think that they would do it all over again if they were able to. But I do think they're missing But, yeah, I I don't think that you have a center fielder on your roster right now. And Harrison Bader is an everyday starting center fielder.
2: That's what I'm For all of his faults. They were hoping Dylan Carlson was going to be a center fielder for him, and now he's a platoon player. Yeah.
4: Yeah, and I was going to say, like, I I think the main reason you missed him was because he's an everyday guy. Like, you don't Mm -hmm. have to worry about the splits. And right now, considering you're looking at two different outfields against right-handed and left-handed pitching, you'd like at least some solidarity, and I think Bader provided that. So, yeah. I definitely think they do miss him.
3: Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line to get involved in the show throughout the day today. Coming up in, a f- in about 15 minutes, we'll get to more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios, we'll tell you which one's more likely. Cardinals, Blues, NFL, college football, whatever you've got, we can get to that coming up at 12.15. Coming up next, speaking of a lack of everyday players, that's the issue for the Cardinals right now in the outfield. I'm okay with platooning. I actually think that it's a smart way to go about it. But what we heard yesterday almost sounded like a cry for help. We'll talk about it next. You're on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Cardinals outfield is a mess right now. They don't seem to know who's going to start on a day-to-day basis. And alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. So much so that yesterday, Alex, prior to the game, Ollie Marmol told the assembled media, yeah, we're going to a platoon system in the outfield. And I don't mean like a platoon. No, 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 no. All three outfield spots have suddenly become a platoon. Against right-handed pitching, according to John Dinton of Cardinals.com, you'll see Dickerson, Newtbar, and Burleson in the outfield for the foreseeable future Oh, against lefties. It'll be Yepes, Carlson and Donovan. At least that's what it sounded like from John Denton earlier today. It was tweeted out by Derek Gould that that last spot where Donovan's at is a TBD. So I think what they're trying to determine is, okay, what makes more sense starting Donovan in that spot in the outfield or starting him at second base the determination there is basically, do we start Paul DeYoung or do we go with one of those outfielders that I previously listed Dickerson or Newt bar, in the outfields, along with Yepes and Carlson? I think I prefer the Newt bar side of things than the DeYoung side of things. They'll try; They'll probably try both though, Alex. I'm into platoons. I think that it is a good concept that maximizes the offensive output that you're getting from a spot in your lineup. But right now, The Cardinals are searching for answers where I'm not sure they're going to find any. The truth is, they just don't have guys that are producing. And it's not about who's hitting against which side. It's just a lack of offense. And so I get why they're deciding to do this. But when I saw that this was tweeted out, it was just yet another reminder of, oh boy, they just don't have a starting caliber outfielder right now and the lack of faith that Carlson can get it done even now when you have no options in the outfield, Newt's not hitting, Burleson has not done really anything since being called up. I would have thought at this point, now is the time that you give Carlson the opportunity to get things going against Rydies. I think it shows a lack of faith in him, honestly, that they're not going in that direction right now.
2: And that's big-time trouble for the Cardinals because I, I personally think you need Carlson to be in both of those games against righties and lefties, you need him to be your everyday outfielder. If this is where we have gotten, this is very frightening for me moving forward. And my question, I guess, is if O'Neill is healthy come postseason time, are you playing this route or is O'Neill in Donovan spot or is O'Neill? I think in O'Neal changes spot. things for sure. Yeah, but do you do you even get back to having a consistent three outfielders or a consistent one outfielders? Or do they legit go off of just straight platoons the rest of the way? I think O'Neill's an everyday player.
3: Offen- I think O'Neill starts I, I against whoever the, the opposing. Offensively,
2: pitcher. I get it, but man, defensively, I am very scared of what right-handed pitching is going to do to this team with your defense in the outfield, because look, and I and look, Dickerson's fine, Newt Bar's good, Burleson's fine, but. No,
3: Dickerson and Burleson are below average,
2: (laughs) but I mean like this is a team that that goes for contact with their pitching staff and they they thrive on defense. This is not defense anymore. As much as we talk about that Bader trade for Montgomery, it's great, but it's like I'm looking at this thinking it's like, man, did they make a mistake at the trade deadline? Because now you don't have a consistent outfield, which I think is going to hurt this team.
4: I I think you need guys who know their roles. I I don't think you made a mistake because, I mean, you were desperately needing someone that had swing and stuff like Montgomery. So that I don't think was a mistake. But I think the big – the biggest gamble was relying on Carlson and Carlson yep. just hasn't lived up to what they thought he was going to be. And, and that's where it comes down to. Cause I agree with your uh, statement of, you know, I, Carlson's one of those guys that needs to get it going to where he can be in both the lineup against righty and lefty. And there's really no excuse for it because he's a switch hitter. So it's not like he's on the right side of the plate against right-handed pitching. He's just really struggled against righties this year for whatever the reason may be. So I think right now you, and they've clearly lost all faith in him. Otherwise they would have yeah. started him last night. Uh, and I think they're not willing to experiment for at least the rest of this season with him against right-handed pitching. So I I look at these platoon systems, and yeah, it screams that they are in desperate need for a starting outfielder, and I think it more screams towards next year because I think this is the best route to go for what you have assembled right now with this season, and I agree O'Neal's probably going to be a guy that becomes every day but I wouldn't be shocked if they end up platooning center and right, uh, even when O'Neill comes back. I think Newt will still be the starting center fielder against right-handed pitching. And then they start probably Burleson in right field against righties when O'Neill is back. It's just the left field spot. Or actually, they'll probably do Dickerson. Yep. And then you got O'Neal locked in that left field spot. So I think they continue to do those splits. But I think this screams heading into the offseason. You need to find somebody that's an everyday outfielder and a guy that you know is going to be healthy and be able to play most of the 162 because that's been the one lack of the problem for Tyler O'Neill as well.
3: Well, it's Carlson. Like Carlson's the problem right now. If Dylan Carlson was the player that they expected him to be, none of this is really an issue. Like he's starting every day in center field. You've got Newt bar against left or against right-handed pitching in right field and everything kind of pieces together around that. And by the way, you're pretty soon within the next week, you're going to have Tyler O'Neill who you asked the question, is he an everyday player? The answer is yes. Or at least for this team, he is, he's going to be playing every single day in left field while he is healthy and that cleans things up out there as well. But If he's an everyday player, Carlson should be an everyday player because it's not like one's hitting I mean they're... I mean, o- O'Neill has been hitting significantly better this year than Carlson has against right I get it, but he's also struggled too, and to six- but not, not to the same degree. Car- Carlson struggles against right-handed pitching is
2: is okay, really but bad. he was injured and
3: now he's max
2: and you're just going to sit there and say well he still can't hit
3: right like you
4: got to give it a shot he wasn't
3: hitting against right-handed pitching even before he was
4: and I think I think them deciding to start Newport in center yesterday basically told you that yeah the thumb wasn't the reason he was struggling against right handed pitching. I get it
2: but I don't because your president of baseball operations literally told the guy we believe in you why we didn't trade you and now you're not playing against
3: righties that's not why they kept you on this team but that was long term right like we can we can understand that there's kind of two conversations that are happening simultaneously there is the immediacy of the coaching staff doesn't believe that dylan carlson gives them right now the best chance to win against right-handed pitching now that's concerning to me absolutely if you want to say that influences what your long-term outlook is for carlson i get it and i'm not even saying you're wrong on that i think there's an argument to be made that you might be right but the organization determined at the trade deadline hey dylan carlson is a significant piece of our long-term outlook even with the struggles that we have seen from him so far this year in which he has hit two Oh five with a on base percentage below 300 against right handed pitching his OPS plus, which is on a scale of 100 100 is exactly league average. Anything above that is that percent above league average. Anything below is that percentage below league average is 79 against right handed <laughs> pitching. He is 21% below league average against righties. He hasn't done it. It's It's not just when he got hurt the guy just for whatever reason has not been able to produce against right-handed pitching this year. And it, it is a concern to me that that could be a long-term problem, but that's something for the off season. We'll talk about that when we get to the off season right now, they've got to figure out what their lineup looks like on a day-to-day basis. And I, I think they're probably right to not play Carlson against righties. The only everyday outfielder that you currently have is Tyler. O'Neal.
2: I would play Carlson against righties over Burleson. Burleson has not put. Burleson has not made me say he has to be in my lineup against Ryde's. I think
3: what they're, what they're doing right now is while they have O'Neill out, let's find out what these guys can do. Can, can you I'll afford to do that now, though?
2: In a ten game stretch or an eight game stretch against these opponents that. Are, are testing sticks to find out how you're going to perform in the playoffs and sit here and say, well, we got to figure that you should have figured this stuff out against the Cincinnati Reds and the Washington Nationals and the Pittsburgh Pirates in the final six games. You don't need to be figuring this stuff out against these opponents. You need Carlson to be at the best that he can be. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they're I'm
3: just guessing here. It's yeah. all we can do. We're, we're led to I'm not guess. yelling
2: at you, buddy. I'm, I'm yelling no, at the Cardinals.
3: Everybody's fired yeah. up, man. And it's understandable. This team is in a really bad spot right now. Yeah. And we're two weeks before the playoffs. And it feels like they're running out of time. If all of these conversations that we were having were happening in July, as opposed to in September, I think it'd feel a lot different right now in St. Louis. I wouldn't be talking about this the same way that we are currently, but the urgency that you're talking about They should be feeling that. Mm -hmm. So should this have happened earlier? I think you can make that argument, but I think they've been kind of leaning in this direction. The problem is Dickerson was playing well, and now he's not hitting anymore. Burleson just got the call up recently, so there was no real opportunity for him to be able to do this. Why? Because Nolan Gorman was hitting prior to this. And so there wasn't really those opportunities for a left-handed bat to be able to come in and play uh, significant opportunities. Juan Yepes was down in the minors. Before that, he was hurt. It's like there wasn't really that chance to be able to get these guys the at-bats that they are currently getting And really, it just comes down to should Carlson be getting those opportunities against righties? And this goes back to the conversation that we had about Wano in the open today. I I don't know because I don't know where Carlson's head's at. If they don't think that he can do it, if he's in such a state right now that it's just not going to click for him against righties, then no, he shouldn't be because maybe that will make him worse against lefties because he gets into his own head. At least now he's going to see some success. So... I, I I'm guessing they're going about it the right way because I would say so far this year, the coaching staff has done a pretty good job of getting the best out of players, but it is concerning to me that they've deemed this is the right way. And, and you think I think he can't perform in the brights or the lightest.
4: It's possible. And, and I was going to say, you know, I, I think you mentioned Gorman when Gorman was hitting, well, they couldn't find those opportunities for some of those guys. I, I think they felt like they had the answers and then typically when you get kind of that wrench that's thrown into everything you find you have that either A time or B you have someone else that steps up and for the Cardinals right now they've had the curveball thrown at them that Gorman was struggling and Dickerson was struggling and it just so happens nobody else picked up for where those and guys Newt. left off. Like, and yeah. Newt Barr. And all it, of
3: their left-handed options went to hell all at the same and, time. And it's Sever Donovan, really.
4: Yeah, and it, and it's, it's kind of had that snowball effect is where you see it, and it's where you start to see this set of panic. But the problem is you just don't have those answers. And on top of that, you're running out of the time. You're reaching the two-week period before you get to the playoffs. I mean, you're at the point now where it's – It feels like there's more questions than there are answers, and it's just going to come down to, okay, well, who's going to be that guy that steps up? There's always that one guy that steps up down the stretch before you get into the playoff run and gets hot and then can carry that into the playoffs. Who's that guy? And right now you're just not seeing that from anybody.
3: So you guys want to get weird with the lineup? You want to get weird right now? Let's get weird with this lineup. T-Bone, let's get weird, buddy. I have a randomly generated wheel. This is going to spin. It's not random. We're going to land on a name, and whoever it lands on, that's who's batting leadoff and then second and so on. All right, you guys ready to see what this lineup comes out as? It's not random, guys. He's cheating. All right, let's see who it lands on first. The first name that it has landed on is... is (laughs) is <laughs> Paul Colchin oh let's
2: yeah go. it's so random I'm sure T-Bone didn't have any say in that one all
3: right let's see who's batting second for your St. Louis Cardinals tonight <laughs> against Blake Snell lefty on the mound Nolan Arenado. Nolan Arenado all right so we've got Goldie batting I don't like leadoff. this
2: lineup already I'm actually fine with it. <laughs> He's got, those those two are only moving one base at a time.
3: Brendan Donovan is batting third what? for
2: you. Oh, yeah. We're getting real weird That's up in I'm here. That's what I'm
3: talking about. All right. Who do you got? Who are you rooting for to bat oh, for? Oh, my God. Albert Pujols is going to be batting <laughs> ninth be batting for this
4: team. Uh, <laughs> against
3: a lefty, too. Give of me course. Dylan Carlson Give
4: fourth. me Yachty. I want Yachty it. How about Paul uh, DeYoung? Oh, God. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm out. Come
2: on, man. I'm out. Come on, man. <laughs>
3: All right, let's see who's best. This lineup right fifth. now. So far, we've got Goldie, Arenado, Donovan, and Paul DeYoung. Batting fifth is Dylan Carlson. No,
2: you just said he can't play. Well, no, it's a lefty, he's a, he's so a lefty, so he can be on hit. the mound. We're oh, okay. fine. Cool. All right, so I'm upper Poole, still an option.
3: <laughs> <laughs> this could be going better. All right, the randomly generated wheel has selected Tommy Edmond to bat sixth in our lineup. So That's, we are still with Albert no Pools.
4: That makes no sense. I, I wish Edmond was hitting third or fourth, wherever. He yeah, I,
3: I would. I would put Edmond fourth, probably. Juan Yepes is batting sixth.
4: <laughs> Wait, I thought Edmond was
3: hitting sixth. <laughs> uh, excuse me, seventh. Is who's going oh to be batting eighth? We're going to have, gonna have be five Yacht outfielders. Or Albert, Al- how many outfielders Al- we got right Al- now?
4: Al-
2: how many, out, how many outfielders we got? We uh, got. We got enough. Oh my God, we're gonna have five outfielders.
3: Albert is batting eighth, oh and we've got God. Yachty batting ninth. Woof! All right, Ali, submit it. Yeah, that's submit uh, it to Major League Baseball now. So like- we've got Paul Goldschmidt batting first and yeah. playing first. Ugh. Nolan Arenado at third, playing or er, batting second. Brendan Donovan is gonna be playing. He's gonna be playing in the outfield in this one. Uh, batting third <laughs> Paul Young is at short. We have too
2: many outfielders. Carlson
3: is in center, Tommy Edman is at second base, Juan Yepes in left, Albert as my DH, uh. and Yadier Molina catching and batting ninth. That is our lineup this, for
4: tonight. This is my I don't like that lineup at all.
3: <laughs> Flip Yadi and Pujols and I'm on board.
4: Yeah,
2: double I lead off Albert. Double lead off to be Albert and Goldschmidt. God, that's
3: a terrible lineup. Yeah, I would go I would go Albert batting leadoff. Hey, T-Bone. If you, if you could make... what if, if, if Ollie, who apparently asked Dan... I don't know if you guys heard this on the broadcast last night. Alex, you were sleeping. But True. apparently Ollie asked Dan a few weeks ago, hey, what do you want to see in the lineup? And Dan said, the only thing I ask is that Albert be in it. He said, ah, oh, it's a bad matchup, though. This a guy that has high velocity, swing and miss stuff. Dan said, you got to have him in. He went over four with two strikeouts. So it didn't work out well. But... If you had one recommendation for Ollie tonight for the lineup, what would it be? Uh, mine would be Albert Pujols needs to be batting uh, leadoff.
2: Well, we know T Bones is Goldschmidt hitting first.
4: No, mine would be not to have uh, De Young in the lineup. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, I think mine would be Dylan Carlson batting between Goldschmidt and Arenado. Put him third. Yeah. Okay. Put them in between Goldschmidt and Arenado.
3: The lineup that I just put out on Twitter is oh. probably the one that you would like. I've got Pujols batting oh, first, batting oh, leadoff. God. Goldie second, Carlson third, Arenado fourth, Donovan fifth, Edmund at shortstop and batting sixth. And then then Yepes, Yadi, and Newt to finish things. I off. don't
2: mind that lineup. I like that lineup got the double leadoff just going please, there. I got
3: Albert at the top as my leadoff
2: please hitter. Please stay the hell away from that lineup that you just created with that generator. Yeah, this randomly generated Oof. one did not
3: go as expected. Coming up in 15 minutes, if there's any one player that you could guarantee you fixed with pixie dust by the time the playoffs turn around, what would it be? We'll get to that coming up at 1230. But next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service Tax line. You give us two options. We'll tell you which one's more likely to happen coming up here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen.
3: Could have been better. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service X line for more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios, we will tell you which one is more likely. Well, let's start with this one, Alex from the three one four guys. Which Owen two team is more likely to make it to the playoffs this year? The Cincinnati Bengals or the Las Vegas Raiders? I'll go Cincinnati Bengals for purposes of
2: the uh, division being a lot easier, if you want to call it that, which I don't know if it is much easier. Well, anything's easier than what the Raiders play in right now. So I'll say, uh, I'll say Cincinnati.
4: I'm going to say Cincinnati too. And just because they've had the same issues they did last year and where they couldn't protect the quarterback and they were able to overcome that. And I think they'll learn to do that again. And then I agree. You look at Las Vegas, they're in a tougher division, so they're going to have tougher games in division. And I just don't know if they're able to overcome. They, they remind me a lot of the Chargers, at least right now where it's, they're struggling to close out games. At least they did against Arizona. We'll see what they look like, but I trust Cincinnati. They've been there, done it before. They overcame the same issue last year. I think they'll find a way to come back and get into the playoff picture.
3: It's interesting. What's happening right now with Cincinnati because If I told you any other team in the NFL lost their first two weeks of the season against Mitchell Trubisky and Cooper Rush, (laughs) I think everybody would agree, oh, this is a disaster. And that team is in big time trouble. And for some reason, people have genuine belief that it's going to be okay for the Bengals. I I don't know if I agree with that. Listen to this upcoming schedule for them. But listen to the defenses that
2: they beat in those first two. Or they got beat by. Like, you got beat by T.J. Watt and the Steelers. I don't know
3: that the Steelers have a great defense. I I think they've got a couple of great players, but I don't know that they have a great
2: defense. I I think Dallas has a great player individually. Oh, see, I think Dallas has got a really good defense.
3: I don't know. I, I think that Micah Parsons might be the best defensive player in the NFL, not named Aaron Donald. But other than that, I mean, Diggs I mean, is a pretty damn good cornerback. all right. And you got Anthony Barr. He gave Barr. Up more yards than any corner in the NFL last year, though. That was last year,
4: man. That was bad was luck. This is
3: rookie year. Bad luck.
2: Anthony Barr is linebacker. They He's got fine. Lawrence. He's old and washed
3: up. Okay. You know what? You're old and washed I, I, up. I'm just saying, like, I, I think that I'm, well, lower no, uh, I think really I'm lower on the Bengals than most No. Come on now. I think I'm lower on the Bengals than most seem to be. I think there's a real chance they lose this week on the road at the Jets. Um, I and then next week, like I'm definitely going to be picking the Dolphins to beat them. The week after that, they go to Baltimore. I think there's a real chance that at best they're one and four to start the season. That's a death sentence for a playoff team. So I actually think it's more likely that the Raiders end up making it to the playoffs than the Bengals. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. Guys, more likely to happen in 2023. Jordan Walker wins rookie of the year, or Jack Flaherty makes at least 25 starts for the Cardinals.
2: Man, T-Bone, you go. This is tough. I don't think Alex heard the (laughs) question. No, I did. I just, I I feel like Flaherty, his his injury's got to be behind
4: him, right? Hmm? I mean, I don't know what else will break.
2: I'm going to go with Walker. (laughs)
4: I'm going to say Flaherty. I, I think it's more likely Flaherty because I think Walker's not going to be up here until about the midway point, and then it's going to be harder for him to make his MVP case. For how
2: awful their outfield options are, I think he might be starting uh, out of training camp. It's
4: okay, man. They're going to have Brandon Nimmo here next year. It'll be yeah. fine. No, they I, can't afford him. I will say I, I think I'm going to go with Jack Flaherty makes 25 starts. I, I'm with you. I'm not sure he's going to be able to break anymore. I'm hoping that the injuries are behind him. And I just think Walker coming up later, it's going to be a little bit harder for him. Unlike if you have a full start to the season, so I'm going to say Jack Flaherty.
3: I think I would go Jordan Walker. The numbers that we mentioned yesterday on Jordan Walker were, I mean, they're really impressive. Now I did see the other day somebody else had mentioned that Walker's stats in Double A and take this for whatever you will were very similar to Dylan Carlson's stats in Double A a few years ago. So, maybe that tamps down the expectations just a bit, but I think Jordan Walker has a very good chance to be able to win NL Rookie of the Year next year. And I mean, any quarter or any pitcher making 25 starts for his respective team is at best a crapshoot because you're betting on health and pitchers just don't tend to stay very healthy. So, I'll go ahead and take the Jordan Walker side of things here. More likely to win NFL MVP this year, guys. Lamar Jackson or Justin Herbert?
2: I think it'll be Lamar Jackson because I think he'll have more rushing yards. I think he's more of a dual threat. Justin Herbert's numbers will be great, but if Justin Herbert were to win it out of these two, it's going to have to be because of the amount of touchdowns he throws. And I just... there's going to be guys that are going to be above him in that category. I think Lamar Jackson can rush for the most touchdowns of any quarterback right there with Jalen Hurts, so I'd say Lamar.
4: I think I'm with you there. I think I would lean towards Lamar Jackson because I think he's going to be a guy that can use his legs, as you were mentioning, and I think Baltimore's going to end up winning the AFC North, which will help his case as well. And he's looked really good the first two games of the year. And then Herbert... I don't know what the injury looks like long-term, but the fact of the matter that he could barely do anything yesterday – or not yesterday, excuse me, last week on Thursday Night Football, I don't know what his health status is. They don't seem worried about it, but that sounds like a bad injury when you're dealing with, like, a broken rib cartilage or something along those lines. So, I – I have some concerns about that and I think he would have to what he'd have to do as he'd have to lead the chargers to winning the AFC West and I just not sure they're going to do that so I think it's more likely Lamar Jackson will win MVP over him
3: you guys know before the season I was really high on the uh the Baltimore Ravens I'm still very high on them I think Lamar Jackson is the bet here I'm a little worried about their lack of a running game uh, I, I heard somebody mention the other day that it's Sounds like J.K. Dobbins might have had a bit of a setback in his rehab as well. That injury was just gruesome for him. Their running backs have done basically nothing so far this season. So that's a little troublesome. Eventually, you wonder if that's going to hurt their passing game as well because people will be keying in on their pass catchers. I do like Lamar Jackson, though, better than Justin Herbert because of his ability to run the ball. So I'll go Lamar as more likely to win MVP this year. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. This is the final one, guys. More likely that the Cardinals win the World Series or lose and never win a game in the wild card round. They get oh, swept in the wild card deal.
4: round or win the World Series. What a range of emotions. Yeah. One that's really exciting and one that's super Yikes. down and negative. I feel bad
2: for that person who sent that in. So, sir or madam, I hope your day is better. Um, I'll say it's more likely they win the World Series. I don't see how they get swept in a wild card game because you lose one game. All right, but you imagine it's going to be competitive. The teams that they're going to be going up against in the wild card game don't signify teams that win two straight unless it's Philly because I think they could absolutely do that. I'll say it's more likely you win the World Series.
4: I hate to be negative, but I think it's more likely that they end up getting swept in the wild card round. I mean, the offense... Is this is the guy who
2: back to the Cardinals like a month ago. He was like, "I'm on the train." Everybody uh, lots did. What's changed?
4: In the yeah. last month. it's only <laughs> been have an four games. Now. They don't have an outfield now. There might as well it's, just be green grass out there. They don't need an outfield. Uh, I, I think it's more likely they get knocked out and just swept in the wild card because anything can happen in the best of three series. And if your offense doesn't turn it around, and namely just Goldie and or they don't get up back going back to that MVP caliber level. The offense isn't going to do much. Waynos had questions. Michaelis has had questions throughout their last two outings. I can't see them turning to Montgomery and Quintana as being the saviors in this playoff se- uh, wild card round series. So. I just see everything that's kind of snowballing towards this first round exit and r- raising a lot of questions heading into the 23 offseason.
3: Yeah, I've got losing in the first round as well. It's unfortunate. I wish it wasn't that way because I was also the one that was really optimistic about this Cardinals team a month ago. And hell, even two weeks ago, I was super optimistic. Hell, even yesterday. I, I still believe that they've got a chance to get this thing turned around. But if you ask me right now, like, is it more likely that they win the World Series or, or- Lose in the wilds card round? Yeah, it's, it gets swept in the wilds card round. How quick, the man. hell did I become the optimist of this group? I mean, you fell asleep before the game last night. It's
2: not true. that's what I happened. I turned the game <laughs> off and went to bed when it was 3 nothing because I said, okay, this is over. Yeah,
3: that's the problem. It, it, it wasn't that way two weeks ago. Yeah. It, two weeks ago, oh, I would have weeks expected ago. they found a way to come back. Two weeks ago, I would have stayed up throughout that game. More likely uh, you would have gone to bed. That's That's not true. true. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But next, if you could name one player that if you put your magical pixie dust all over them, you could guarantee that they would be fixed by the playoffs. Who would it be? tell you who ours are coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: If you could put your magic pixie dust on any individual Cardinal and they suddenly get to the best possible version of themselves prior to the playoffs, who would it be?
2: I'm sorry. I'm just really happy you didn't like do the brights or the lightest with pixie
3: dust. Yeah, well, I would never make that kind <laughs> that of was a, mistake. Little, a little. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studio out of the Centene Community Ice Center. Alex, my answer is very simple. Simple. I'm going with Dylan Carlson, because if you could have any individual player that rises up the ranks and goes back to the best version of their their, themselves, the guy that I think that makes the biggest difference from where they're currently at to where they could be is Carlson. He's just not the guy that we expected him to be right now. He is basically what we thought Albert pools was going to be coming into the season where all you can do is hit against left-handed pitching. You're a bench bat. You come in against lefties when a righty is on the mound, and then you start against left-handed pitching, and you hope to get the best out of him. Dylan Carlson is what April Albert was, and that's a problem. It's a massive problem for him right now. If you could get him back to being a plus defensive player in center field who hits... For average, gets on base, and has a decent amount of power against both right and left-handed pitching. Man, that completely changes the complexion of this lineup. I just put down, like, in an ideal world, what does the lineup look like going into the playoffs? I think you have Tommy Edmund leading off, Donovan, and then Goldie Arenado. That's your top four, as expected. I think Carlson would be your five-hole hitter in an ideal world. Now, it hasn't been that. It, may, it probably won't be that. But in my scenario, he would be. And then you transition, you get to the bottom half of the order with Albert, O'Neill, catcher, probably Yadi in that spot, and then Lars Nupar as your secondary leadoff guy who gives you plus defense in right field as well. That would be my ideal lineup. And a big part of that is Dylan Carlson in center field being able to hit well enough to bat fifth against both right and left-handed pitching. So that would be my answer. Who would you go with?
2: I would go with the exact same player. And in, in an ideal lineup for me would be Brennan Donovan leading off and Dylan Carlson batting second. So Tommy Edmund can hit ninth. And uh, you just you need Dylan Carlson. I don't believe this team can win a World Series, maybe a round, if they don't have Dylan Carlson. Because you you you're just trying to – you're trying to – put a puzzle together with a missing puzzle piece. That's to me what you have right now with no Dylan Carlson. He was supposed to be the everyday center fielder. He was supposed to be the, the, the not third bat in your lineup, but he was supposed to be that impact bat at the top of the lineup lineup with the O'Neill's and the Goldschmidt's and Arenados and Edmonds. He was supposed to be a guy who was going to be stealing bases for you and making plays. He's none of those right now. So if you don't have Dylan Carlson, I don't know how you can go far in the playoffs because you are missing a massive element to this team. Defensively, I'm concerned. I don't know what the one through five is going to look like. One through four looks great, but five is a blatant yep. hole. If you're playing against a righty and, and, You're going to basically have a guy
3: sitting on the bench who's supposed to be that key element for you. Tanner, who would you go with? We both went with Dylan Carlson, center field, batting either second or fifth probably in a best-case scenario. Who would you have? If you could put your pixie dust on him, you guarantee they're going to be fixed by the playoffs. You're going with who?
4: I would go with Tyler O'Neill still. And I still think he's the biggest X factor for this team going into the playoffs. I, I, when he is right, I mean, I was looking at his splits from last year. And I mean, you look at him against right handed pitching last year 286 average with an 888 OPS. And for as much as we've talked about Carlson's struggles against righties, yes, he's been worse than O'Neill, but O'Neill hasn't been great either. 219 batting average with an OPS of 673. And we've seen spurts from Tyler O'Neill where it feels like he's starting to click and then an injury occurs or he ends up going cold again. I still think that if you can get Tyler O'Neill going, if he ends up if I can sprinkle my pixie dust and get him back to last year's form, I think it allows you to put Carlson in your lineup, and you can play him in center field and put O'Neill in left, and then you can put Newton right field or Dickerson if he's hitting well. I think it allows you to, because if he is right, he becomes a essential key third piece to the offense where he can bat fifth drive in Goldie and arnado and then because he's going to be back to his normal self if I'm sprinkling this pixie dust on him I can get away with Carlson's offensive struggles because then I can solidify the defense in the outfield and O'Neill can pick up for his lack of production and you can just kind of hide Carlson in the bottom of your order so I think it's important that one of these two ends up getting going in the playoffs yeah. I agree with that I think they're the two obvious candidates in terms of looking at the offensive players to sprinkle the pixie dust on but I, I would go with O'Neill just because he's he, he was a MVP caliber player last year when he was right.
3: Yeah, I, I think it's either the, of those two guys. I, I think that the reason why I went with Carlson over O'Neill is because I'm just saying, hey, assume that the other guys all stay at the same level or something approaching the level that they've been at for the majority of the season. And I think O'Neal's level has just been higher than Carlson's has this year. He has not been the guy that he was a year ago. I'm certainly not arguing that. But he's been mostly okay. He's been. Oh, oh, he's had his moments where okay, the power looks like it's back. Even if the average isn't super high, he's walking better than he did a couple of years ago. So he's had his moments. Carlson's been a disaster against right-handed pitching. Like there's just there's no two ways about it. It's been horrible for him. So that's why I went with him. Is just because I think the range of outcomes is a little wider for Carlson. Did you guys give any consideration to Jack Flaherty? No,
2: because I don't think it is imp- is as impactful as if a position get, player like, for legit a legit top end version of Jack Flaherty. I mean, he would probably uh, oh, Tyler O'Neill would be second on my list. <sighs> yeah, I guess Flaherty would probably be third. If I had to, if, if I was going down a, like a, a depth chart of this, I'd probably have Flaherty third on this one. See, I would,
4: I would put Flaherty ahead of Carlson because I, I think you can get away if Carlson's just going to be what he has been. And that's just a solid defensive player. You can get away with having him at the bottom of the order. And if you get O'Neill back to MVP form, he can play a solid center field for it. You can get better at the corner with uh, O'Neal there and potentially Newt Barr in right field. I I think Flaherty would be up there because then I feel like your rotation is just stacked one through four. And I get it that Wayne Wright's had his struggles. But I, I am still assuming he will get that figured out and he'll be fine. Michaelis has been, I know he's had his rough spot as well, but I trust Michaelis and then Montgomery. And then if you want to put Quintana in place of Michaelis too, like I feel comfortable in doing so as well. But I I think if you were to put this pixie dust on Jack Flaherty, I mean, you have a legitimate top end guy and I still think the Cardinals are kind of lacking that. I, I think Wainwright has fallen back into that two-tier with his recent struggles, and I think he was more of like a 1B, kind of fits up there because he's got postseason success, but he's not got the swing and miss stuff. I think Flaherty, you get him back into normal form, then, yeah, he's kind of a difference maker. He makes the staff that much more better.
3: Yeah, I think that's I, – I could listen to the argument on Jack. Hell, if somebody wanted to make the argument for Goldie and just get him back to being the Goldie that we saw for the – like May through the end of August version yeah. of Goldie, I could listen to that argument too. There's plenty of candidates on this team for what we're talking about here. You mentioned Wayno. I could even listen to the argument that Waino's the guy that Hell, you do this for. Miles Michaelis. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a. Th- this is why the last two weeks has been so frustrating to watch. Is because we've seen it. If things come together for this team, they can win the World Series. The problem is it feels like all of it is happening at the same time where it's gone to hell again. And what's weird is we've seen it before. And I don't know if that gives me more or less confidence that they'll get through it this time in time for the postseason. Gives me less confidence because because it's happened so much. We saw it in, what was it, mid-May? where These exact same things happened. The pitching fell apart. The offense went to crap. There was nothing happening. They looked just blah on the field. There was no real energy And they were trying to cycle through some things to see what would work. They stayed the course. They corrected it. Eventually, it got better. And we saw what happened afterwards where they got everything going at the same time and went on an awesome run. Now it's happening again. Do they have enough time? Do they have the right pieces? Are they in the right physical and mental space to be able to get it to to work again within the next two and a half weeks? Those are the questions that need to be answered. I wish they had some pixie dust. That would make all of this way easier to be able to figure out, but um, they, they've got like seven or eight different guys that I maybe think you can Miles make a legitimate argument for. He needs to bust out his own pixie dust and the pull sage? that sage out again. I'm telling you, BT mentioned that on the broadcast last night. I think it's time. I think it's time. Or San maybe, Diego's a good place or for maybe it. Maybe you need to go lose
2: your mic cover and then find it again.
3: Oh, yeah. I thought that was supposed to work. I think it worked at Bush. We need to get him back home. So you're saying you need to go on. The, aren't you going to be in L.A.? I am going to be in LA. Okay. Maybe I should burn some sage. I'll burn no. some sage no. on my in my hotel. No, you need to go go get a press pass for the game <laughs> for Dodgers. Day. Go go into the lock. <laughs> I'm sure my wife's going to be cool with this. She won't mind.
2: Yeah. Go yeah. into the locker room. Go into Ollie's office. Forget something, and then and then go back. And then go back. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like a great plan. This is how this <laughs> is how we become better on the road as Cardinals fans. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, we've got this fixed. I just solved it, so I don't know what you guys' problem is. You just actually need to like do it now.
3: Hey, coming up in 15 minutes. Speaking of Miles Michaelis, he can solidify his spot in the wild card rotation if he gets a quality start tonight. We'll tell you about it coming up at one o'clock. The junk drawer is next.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you
5: by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open an Achieve It checking account today.
3: Let's dive into the Junk Drawer. Alex, what do you
2: have for us today? Boys, I got a list. I got the top 10 online shopping sites in 2022. And this is courtesy of Curve USA, which I guess is a uh, a business website. And they kind of project the numbers or look at the numbers of what people spent money on online. And I guarantee that you guys won't be able to figure out half of these. Amazon? That's number one. That was an easy one. Walmart? I'll allow it. That's number eight. I'll allow it. Target? Target number four.
4: Okay. Best Buy. I assume number five.
2: Okay. Really, I'm surprised it's that high. So. Uh, technology so you guys is got big. one, four, five, and eight.
3: I'm trying to think of what else I would there's, go to. There's
4: one on here that I just. IKEA. <laughs> that must be that means. No, no you don't online. do that online. You
2: go there. Um. So you guys are looking for two, three, six, seven, nine, ten.
1: No, comma Macy's guys are
2: on a hot No, not Macy's. On the right track though. Lowe's? Nope, also on the right track. eBay. eBay? Oh, Did one. You just look up the damn list. No, I'm That's number to think 3. Of...
4: That's uh, a
2: good one though. No. You guys were close with Macy's and Lowe's, JC Penney. No, I don't think they're in business anymore. Say, they're I bought by I'm not Macy's. sure they are. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't been in business since the 90s, man. Kohl's? Kohl's. Oh, there you go. That's number a good one. 10. That's why I said you were close with Macy's. I'm
4: trying to think what the equivalent is of Lowe's. Etsy,
2: what? Etsy, okay. number nine. What is that? That's like a uh, a craft website. My wife uses uh, it for I don't, everything. I don't recognize that one. OnlyFans. OnlyFans is number two. Okay. And that one was like, you gotta be kidding me.
3: But it makes sense. I don't really know that I consider that to be shopping, but Oh, it's shopping, <laughs> it's shopping
2: it's shopping for the evening. A lot evening of window crew. shopping, if you no, will. No, it ain't window shopping. It's uh shopping for the evening crew. Victoria's Secret? No, not Victoria's okay. Secret. So hold on. We got
3: Amazon OnlyFans. What's the one that's close to eBay, Coles? Target, Coles. Target, Best uh, Best We're buy. missing six and seven. Yeah. What's
2: Walmart, Etsy, and
3: Coles. Menards? Nope. But you're getting closer. I say, what's
2: Home one that would be? Home Depot. That's
4: what it was. Okay. I was All right. Trying to figure and out number six,
2: I'm one. not even going to let you guys guess because there's absolutely no way you can get this. I
3: feel like we did pretty well. You did awesome third. at this
2: because I didn't think you would would get as many as you did. Number six on this list was Long John Silver's. I was
4: never. That was my. Now next. I
2: don't know if Long John Silver's is something different than Long John Silver's the fast food restaurant. But according to Curve USA, the sixth most online shopping site in twenty twenty two was Long John Silvers. Is that, that like a is that like a pants website? I don't think
4: so. I think the only Long John Silvers I know is
2: the rest. Silver's
3: longjohnsilvers.com.
2: Longjohnsilvers.com I just typed that in and my computer froze. Nope it's the, it's for the fast food restaurant. How the hell have people more shopped at Long John Silver's than Home Depot,
4: Walmart, Etsy, and Kohl's? I, I bet it's just because it's so big out east. I bet it's carried it? in some of those bigger cities. Is it? But I think why so. are you shopping online for a fast food restaurant? I, Easier than going there. What? Show up, pick up my food, Trust and tree. go home.
3: Trust tree. Have you shopped when online for fast food? Long John Silver's doesn't advertise with us, right? No, but I'm not I'm not treading into this water. When was the last time you've been to Long John? Oh Silver's? I actually
2: I actually go there around uh, Lent because that you know, sense. you don't ask you don't eat um, meat on Fridays, so like my wife and I always try and do like fish fries and sometimes fish fries are just really packed. So you'll yeah. go L- Long John Silver's and we know Tanner, how when when is the last
3: time you've been?
2: Long John I was Silver's.
4: gonna say we know how Alex handles like busy places. He has to leave. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no I I'm going um, fast food plus like they they're quick. I don't know. I don't remember the last time I had Long John Silver's. I don't think it's been that long though. I think Dude, we had it. I had to have been like ten years. When later. I was at, when I was young, uh, it's, it's definitely not been that long for me. Long
2: John Silver's. We used to go in there and just ask them for like the the crumbs the off. No, it was like the the fried crumbs off of the fish. So like the pieces that fall off of it, we used to just ask for those. It was That's So the good. Most disgusting. Oh, thing it was I've so ever heard. good.
3: Except for the fact that I saw this last night. Alex, I don't know how you're going to have a kid when she's old enough to have, like, a TikTok and a Facebook and a oh, Twitter account. She's not
2: allowed to have any of those. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Until she's
3: 21. Did you see this yesterday? The FDA issued a warning yes. about yes. NyQuil marinated chicken. Because apparently people are doing this on TikTok. They're pouring the NyQuil into the saucepan and they're, or the skillet. They're cooking up the chicken with this NyQuil. Well, no, first of all, no bleep, that's a bad idea. Like, of course, yes, you should not be chicken. You, you should not be tenderizing your chicken and sauteing it with NyQuil. None of that is surprising. I. Kids are seeing such ridiculous nonsense on social media now, and I sound like I'm an old man raising my fist with the, into the clouds. Oh, no, you're with me. I'm with you. I, I don't know how anybody raises children nowadays, and I'm not saying you're doing a bad job. I'm saying this is terrifying. Like, how you can't like this is this your is kids why kids are
2: going to be exposed to this. This no is matter why what. I'm worried my child with social media because of oh. this thing. But you know. I, the warning thing is is fine but like at some point natural selection just needs to take over for these but people. These are, these are Who's kids. this stupid? There's probably kids that are doing. There's this, probably they're kids seeing it on social media. That's But there's probably also adults doing this to get hits on TikTok. God. And there's teen- this is the hey, same thing as tide pods. Oh, the Tide yeah, Pod it's challenge. All clicks. But it's like sooner or later natural selection just needs to take over cuz you can't be this dumb to take Nyquil and pour it into your chicken.
3: I just don't understand.
2: By the way, they were called Crispies. And tons of people are saying that they used to do that. Really? Yeah. Okay. And apparently there was an all-you-can-eat uh, on Sundays in Arnold at Long John Silver's, which...
3: That's your neck of the woods. Looks like I'm going to go find out about that one in Fish Fries at Lent. Somebody from the 573 asks, so what's BK's OnlyFans account? Casey Adams apple 69
4: Dude, you hey, could probably get some clicks dude, with that Adams Apple. people
2: like Adams Apples. Everyone's got a niche, man. Someone might like... Adam's apples you could do some you could do some damage with that and yours is bulging so
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm Adam's apple and was... I had a bulging disc whoa yeah yeah whoa <laughs> say that one five times fast coming up she in 15 nice minutes chicken while you're eating those. <laughs> <laughs> time for some NFL quick hitters we'll talk to Chris Gerber the voice of the blues at 1 but next discs Careful there. Miles Michaelis can solidify his spot in the wildcard rotation with a quality start tonight against the Padres. Boy, please do this. Please get this done. Can we get – we need a quality start from Miles Michaelis. We need the sage to be burning tonight as well. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: solidify his spot in the wild card round rotation tonight with alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon Kylie. it's bk and ferrario on 101 espn we'll be joined by chris kerber the voice of the blues coming up at 130 guys i think the answer to that question is yes I think if Miles Michaelis goes out there and shoves tonight against the San Diego Padres, especially given the struggles that we've seen lately from Wayno, especially given uh, what I've seen thus far from Flaherty, which just doesn't give me confidence that he's going to be a guy that makes his way into your wild card round. I think he had to push his way in, and we just haven't seen that yet from him. I, I think if you see a really nice start tonight from Michaelis, it-, it puts him, for me, towards the top of my list of, all right, no doubt about it. After he's gone up against a quality opponent, now we have seen him do it. I think he's going to be in my wild card round rotation. Where do you fall on that, Alex?
2: I think I think he can. I think right now the the wild card rotation is still Wayno, Michaelis, and Montgomery. But I am giving serious considerations to starting Jose Quintana over. I, I can't believe I'm saying it, but like you have to seriously consider it. Him starting over Wayno, which is not going to happen, but. I do think that for Miles, if he goes out and pushes tonight, I don't know if he would solidify it, because I still think the auditions are there,
3: but would he get another start against Milwaukee? That's the thing. I, I If he's really good tonight, my guess is, and there's kind of a two-parter here. If he's good tonight and they are able to clinch the division, which... It, they should be able to within the next week, prob- probably prior to his next start. So you're probably going to skip you his You would skip next his one. next start would be my assumption. And in yeah. that scenario – you're not going to learn yeah. anything about him going up against the Pirates in right. his final start of the year. So that's why I, I think it's such a significant good. start. And why last night was such a significant start for Waino as well is because you were hoping that you could do that for both of them.
2: That's what's concerning with Waino. You're right, because now you don't have any other opportunity to get that and it's four straight where it just hasn't looked pretty. But yeah, I think with Michaelis, if he if he goes out there and performs with seven innings and gives up one earned run and the hits are low, some of the strikeouts are there, the walks are low, typical Miles Michaelis, For me, I'll look at that and say, yeah, he's in my rotation. The same way that I've looked at Jordan Montgomery and said, he's in my rotation and he's not coming out.
4: Yeah, I think with a good start tonight, he can lock himself into that wild card around rotation because of what we're talking about, because it's against a quality opponent, and it's potentially a team you see. I I think if he throws six... Innings allows one earned, but looks really efficient and looks good tonight against San Diego. And you end up taking them on in the wild card round. Yeah, you can lock him into that spot. And I think if he looks good tonight, I think you can lock him in no matter who your opponent is in the wild card round because it'll be encouraging to see him kind of get back to being himself. And it's going up against a playoff caliber team. And then, like you said, it's just not a lot you're going to learn when he end, if they skip him. We'll see if they do or not. If they skip him, he doesn't start in Milwaukee, which I kind of agree may occur. Then you see him against Pittsburgh. You're not going to learn much about that. So if he looks good against the one playoff opponent that he sees this month in september and he looks good against him then i don't have any fear of about putting him in in a playoff scenario having him start a game where the lights are the brightest and he may end up having to take advantage of the moment i think he's a guy that can bring his game up to the next level once you get to the postseason
3: pretty sure it's when the brights are the lightest you messed that one up no, sorry in
4: his last three games
3: even though he has been going through what we would consider to be a down downward trajectory for him three games 19 innings, 3.3 ERA. Like if that's the worst that it gets, it's been pretty good for Miles Michaelis on the season. He had a couple of weird starts, one in Colorado, another couple that he was in Cincinnati. I think that's where most of the concerns come with for Miles Michaelis was from those, and it increased his ERA. It got bloated. He gave up a ton of hits. It was a lot of soft contact, and then a couple of home runs in a bandbox uh, type of stadium. In general, he's been pretty darn good. So I, I think Michaelis can solidify himself there. If Michaelis is in, that means there's two other spots that are available for that wild card round for you guys. Is is Wayno a lock, like guaranteed, no matter what? Even if he's not good in his next two starts, he's for sure going to be starting for you in the wild card round of the playoffs.
2: I don't think he should be a lock, but I think he is a lock in the Cardinal's eyes. Like you're not going to say, "Nope, Wayno, sorry, four starts aren't good enough for you to." start for us in the postseason, in the wild card round, at home. So I don't think he should be a lock. I think it should be up for discussion. But I, I believe Wayno's a lock in the Cardinals' eyes.
4: I-, I agree with that sentiment. I do think that Adam Wainwright is a lock in terms of I just can't picture the scenario in which Ollie decides that they can't start him in a wildcard game. And I, I think, honestly, what the if you want to call it the worst-case scenario, is he start him game one. That way there's no risk of losing in game two and you rely on him and he ends up throwing up a dud and then you're eliminated, and same with game three. I, I think he's a lock to be the game one starter in the wildcard round, and then I think Montgomery's pretty much locked up that other spot. Like, I, I think Flaherty would have to go on a heck of a tear in his final two, three starts. Same with Quintana to where they would take that spot. So I, I think really the only spot open for discussion is the one that we're discussing, and that's the Michaelis one. If Michaelis looks good, or excuse me, if Michaelis looks bad, I think you continue to debate who's going to be that guy that slides into the rotation for the wild card round.
3: I think so, too. The thing that's so frustrating, though, man, if this was a meritocracy, Quintana should be in discussion for the wild card round. Is that a talkie? <laughs> meritocracy. What is that? Is it like a taco? Based on merit. If, if Why that- didn't you just say
2: that,
4: man? <laughs> Damn. If, if you that's the word of the day on his toilet paper. <laughs> meritocracy. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. Get the hell out um, of here. If you had a situation where
3: this was all based on merit. Thank you. Then you would see Jose Quintana at least getting serious consideration to start in that yeah. wild card round. Like, Especially if the opponent that you're going up against is better against righties than they are lefties then you should probably see Montgomery and Quintana getting starts against whoever that wildcard round opponent is. And if Michaelis outperforms Wayno down the stretch, then Michaelis should be that third starter that gets that opportunity. Now, I I say all of that while also being in the exact same spot that you guys are in. Like, should that be up for conversation? Maybe. I, I could definitely listen to the argument. Will it be? I'd be pretty shocked. Like, can you guys envision any scenario Barring injury or some sort of a setback with Wayno, where he even knows I'm not right, I I can't start in the wild card round. Barring something like that, I think it's a guarantee that he starts in the wild card round no matter what.
2: The only one that I think can lose their start in the playoffs would be Montgomery, and I don't I don't see that happening. But I, there's no way Wayno loses it, despite what I believe, and that's just it. Like it's the same as the Yachty thing with you earlier this year. It's like Yachty has not performed well to the point where he should be playing. But it's Yachty in September, and you know he's going to come through. I can and he has, sit- by
3: the way. i, I got to give a lot of credit. Yep. i got to eat my crow on this. Yachty or Molina has been one of their best hitters in the month of September. Like I, I think he's actually been the second thing. best hitter on this team this month behind yeah. only Tommy Edmund.
2: Again, good thing it's and bad amazing. thing. But that's what Wayno is. I can sit here and say, like, he'll go out and pitch one more time and give up five runs in five innings and say, oh, my God, this guy should not be starting in the postseason and go out and shove in the wild card round. So he's the one that I, I – Montgomery would be the only one that if, if Quintana just goes out and performs well once again, it's like how do you sit here and say he can't pitch in the playoffs for us? But I don't know who loses their start.
4: Yeah, I, I can't picture a spot unless it is injury that Adam Wainwright's not starting in the wild card round. Like I, It just seems he's that game one number starter, If assuming that they can set things up properly like they want to. I think they will set up to where Adam Wainwright is the game one starter. Struggles or not, I think they'll look at it and just say it was off. I think we think we got it fixed in a bullpen session coming into the wild card game. And we trust Adam Wainwright will raise his game to the next level once you get into the playoffs. Like that's that's how I think they're going to play it. I, I can't envision a scenario in which he's not in. I, I truly can't envision a scenario in which Montgomery's not in it. Um, and, I mean, I am with you, but I, if Quintana just pitches so well, I, I don't even think. I'd, even if Quintana pitches well, I, I don't think Montgomery loses his spot. I think the only guy that spot is up for debate is Michaelis, and that comes down probably to a how he looks tonight, and b depending on what the splits are in that yeah. against that opponent. If The opponent, like you said, struggles against uh, right or lefties, then Quintana probably starts. If they struggle against right-handed pitchers, I think they'll turn to Miles Michaelis.
3: So, final thing that I wanted to get to here before we get to some NFL quick hitters on the other side. One of the byproducts of a the starting pitching not being particularly good lately and b the offense just going into a slumber over the last couple of weeks is that the bullpen rules are not getting figured out the way that we all hoped that they would be. We have not seen Steven Matt's pitch since Saturday night. We have not seen Andre pelante pitch since Saturday night. Jojo Romero and Zach Thompson the last time that they saw an opportunity in a high leverage spot was on Friday We've now gone at least three days, in some cases four days, since most of these guys have pitched. This was the opposite of what we were anticipating. This is supposed to be the time when we find out who fits where and can they live up to the moment when the Brights, as we know, are the lightest. And we're not learning anything about these guys. And until they start getting into late-game situations where they have a tight lead – we're not going to learn anything about these guys. So this is just kind of an unintended consequence of the poor performances lately. Is you're not seeing Romero, Thompson, Polante, Mats? they're not getting into these high leverage spots, and that's something they need to figure out. By the way, as a secondary part of this, Packy Naughton threw 45 pitches last night. He gone. Do you guys think that Packy Naughton is about to lose his job? I mean, it's it's an unfortunate part of the business, but it's the reality of the business. Is he about to get demoted and Dakota Hudson take that spot in your bullpen?
2: I think so. Because I think, like we talked about yesterday, I think they want to find out what he can be in the bullpen because if he could be a weapon for you. So, yeah, I think that was a – sign of sorry Packy. you've done an incredible job for us this season but you're headed back to Memphis
4: yeah I'm with you there I think he'll end up going down to Memphis once Hudson comes off his four days of rest that's probably around that range in which they might clinch the division they look for that spot start how do you get Hudson on the team and you just call call him up and send down Packy, and then once he does the start and gets back to his rest schedule then you put him in the bullpen but I don't know if you'll know what he can be out of the bullpen in terms of just because they're running out of leeway to just do that itself too
3: And Dakota Hudson started on Saturday, so Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, today's Wednesday. I think he'll be ready to go by tonight if you needed him out of the bullpen. I I think that this could be something that we see at some point this afternoon. While the fast lane's on, I bet you we get some news that uh, I, I bet you they keep Packy on the taxi squad. There's no reason really at this point to send him back down to Memphis. He'll probably stick with the team just because why not? Um, but I bet you that Dakota Hudson ends up with that role. The, on the, Dak
4: ap- the Dak attack is
3: back. Coming up in 15 minutes, Chris Kerber joins the show. But next, NFL quick hitters, including what are we expecting from this Thursday night football game? Are we going to learn anything from these two teams? Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
3: to some NFL quick hitters that's Alexi's Tanner on BK let's start with the bills better notice Casey Adams Apple 69 its just on the fans man it's just on the fans <laughs> hey the bills have 17 touchdowns and four punts in their last four games oh my god <laughs> that's incredible are they the best offense the most dominant offense currently in the NFL absolutely absolutely they are
2: and I think a lot of people will say Miami But that's just coming off of one game. Like you got to see Miami put it together. The Bills are just a juggernaut when it comes to offense, and I mean they got the weapons that it's like you sit here and you say like they got Diggs, of course, but then it's Gabe Davis and I don't know if I can
3: tell you who the third depth chart receiver is for that team right now. Isaiah McKenzie slash Dawson Knox are probably their and then your running backs.
2: Your running backs aren't setting the world on fire with Singletary and Moss, but it's because you have Allen. And Diggs, they're the most dominant offense right now in football.
4: Yeah, I think they're definitely the most dominant offense in football. I mean, I, Tennessee's defense isn't great, but I mean the Rams' defense is still pretty solid, and they were able to basically do that against them, and then they carried it over to the next game. So I think they are. I think Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs are the maybe the best duo in the NFL this year. And last year I think it was Stafford and Cup based on the numbers that you saw from them. But I, I think Allen and Diggs are that this year. I. I can't think of a defense that's going to have an easy time in stopping them, and Josh Allen's just playing at an unbelievable level that it's going to be tough to draw up anything where you can just shut them down. So, yeah, I think they're the most dominant offense in the NFL.
3: They've now scored at least 27 points in nine straight games. They have scored at least 31 points in each of their last four games, and they've done this against some pretty good defenses. Last year to end the season, they did it on the road at New England. Then in the playoffs against New England, they did it at Kansas City last year, and then to start out this season, they did so against the Rams on the road. They're the best offense in the NFL. I mean, Josh Allen is one of the, like, three aliens that we have playing the position right now. I mean, it's it's him, it's Justin Herbert, and it's Patrick Mahomes. Those, in my opinion, are the three guys. Like, if you had to start a franchise, give me one of those three. I'll figure it out from there. Uh, Josh Allen's unbelievable. I think that it's been really impressive to see the way that the offense has kind of evolved a little bit this year, even without Brian Dable. I thought that was going to be a significant loss for them. I think he's done a pretty good job in New York, but the Bills are just they found a way to overcome it, so I do think they're the best offense in the NFL. I think the real question is who's second. I think they have arrived in the place that the Chiefs were in like 2019 when they had that crazy Monday Night game against the Rams and they were heads head and shoulders above everybody else. That's how I feel about the Buffalo Bills right now. It's them teardrop everybody else after that. All right. Speaking of uh, exciting, I think I'm falling for the Lions. I think this is the way that you feel about the Eagles. I think that's me with the Lions, man. I like the Lions. Uh, Hard knock sold me. So Dan Campbell, he had another great quote. Surprise, surprise. Another one? Yeah. So he was asked on Tuesday how he viewed the Vikings versus the Eagles Monday night football game. He said, quote, normally I would view it like any fan would. I would fall over backwards in my chair drunk after the second half I couldn't even take notes anymore woke up couldn't read my notes but I'm back in the morning took some aspirin so we're all good respect
2: is he is he throwing shade at a team or is he just actually telling you what he did
3: Uh, I think he was kidding
2: I'm not throwing shade I'm not
4: saying I'm sure he he was
2: throwing shade because that's typically what happens in that game no, I, it's I boring.
4: Think, I think that was Campbell's. No, he Monday was night. Saying,
3: <laughs> Campbell was saying normally
4: I would get night. drunk on
3: a Monday night football game. God but bless
2: But instead you.
3: this week I decided to go ahead and watch
2: it. God bless you, Dan Campbell. You might he might be my favorite head coach in football. If you could put Dan Campbell on the Philadelphia Eagles, the Golden Team, right there. I
3: I don't know how good the Lions actually are. I I think they're
2: interesting. They got, interesting. got off a quarterback, not that good. I think if they get Bryce Young or Caleb Williams. In the draft, I think they could actually be good in a couple of years. I
3: do, too. I think they've got some real talent at wide receiver. I mean, remember, they've got Jamison Williams, and he's not playing yet. He's still recovering from that ACL uh, from last year. They've got the Vikings this weekend on the road. This is a huge test for them, man. Uh, We look back on that first week now, and it's like, oh, they were within three points of the Eagles. And then this past week, I know that it ended up being pretty close. A lot of that was garbage time, though. They, They beat the heck out of the Washington Commanders. If they're able to go on the road into Minnesota and beat the Vikings, I'm going to start considering the Lions a legitimate, not Super Bowl contender, but at a minimum a playoff contender coming out of the NFC. See,
2: I think this year they're not a playoff contender for me, but I think they're like, I think they're a five or six win team. And I think next year, I think they can be an eight win team if they go get themselves an actually decent quarterback.
4: see. I, I think they're better than a five or six win team. Like I, as much crap as I talk on Jared Goff and look, he's no elite quarterback. That's for sure. But he, he's got weapons and he can he can make something happen with that. I mean, he was in L. A. and got them to a Super Bowl. Why? Because he had weapons around him. And he's got some decent weapons around him in Detroit, and they got a decent offensive line that's been playing well. So I think they're a team that if they can beat Minnesota, yeah, I think they're worth monitoring as a team that could sneak into the playoff picture. Because I mean, let's just be honest, the whole NFC is not that great. So you think you can get in with nine this year? Probably. I don't. And I think I think you could get in, with uh, nine. Yeah. in the nine NFC
2: In the NFC, yeah.
4: I think you can so, get in, and I think the Lions can get to that point.
3: Let's play a game called Count the Wins. Oh, I love this game. So let's say that they win this week, because this is kind of a prerequisite for me to believe in them as a legitimate contender. So that would put them up to two wins on the season if they win this week against the Vikings. You guys think they can win at home against Seattle? Yep. Yeah. That
2: puts them to three. Yeah, remember when people said that, oh, yeah, people wrote Geno Smith off, but I didn't write back. That only lasted one week. I think he needs to write. Yeah, he needs to start (laughs) trying to write a little bit more. On
3: the road at New England. They can win that game, right?
2: Yep. Uh, I think that one will be tough because New England's got a good defense also.
3: Yeah, but I I, I think they should. I would give the Lions the slight edge, yeah. At Dallas, probably without, at that point I would assume, uh, Dak Prescott. I think they should win that game.
4: I think Dallas wins that one. I'll say Dallas wins that one. I think their defense
2: can hold Goff. Michael Gallup should be back by that time too. I think they're. De- I think Dallas wins out one. will I see like
4: Parsons, and he'll like short circuit. Why do you?
3: Ha- why do you hate Cooper Rush, man? He's terrible. This uh, week was a mirage. Did you see him? Yeah, it was a mirage. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say the next two are losses: Miami and Green Bay. Agreed. At Chicago, Green Bay though. I don't know, man. At Chicago,
2: that yeah, should a be a win. At the Giants. Wait, was that Chicago one Thanksgiving? No, uh, no. I oh, was going to say because Chicago's going to win that one. Uh, at the Giants, I'll say win. Oh, they should win. Yeah, I think that's a win that they have to have. They've
3: got the Bills on Thanksgiving. Well, that's that's gonna a be win. an awesome game. That's a win. That's an awesome game. Uh, Jacksonville. They, they should win. win that one. At home against Minnesota, toss-up. At the Jets. That's a win. At Carolina. Win. And then at Holy home hell. against Chicago. is this
2: team going to be a 10-win team? That's 11 wins. No
3: way. No That's, way. I'm telling you, man. I'm not saying they're going to win all of those games, but those are at a minimum winnable. How many they sh- should get to the playoffs this year. How many they, of those games as as think. will
2: they be favored in?
3: Most of the ones that we, saw, we talked about at, as being winnable. Yeah. And well, if not, some of those will be close. I will like be, the Patriots if they game, beat be Minnesota and they beat Seattle, they will be favored in New England. What,
2: when was the last time that the Detroit Lions had been favored in that many games?
3: They were f- a one-point underdog against Washington, right?
4: Yeah. No, they were favored. It was one and they and were one-and-a-half-point one One-and-a-half-point
3: So they could be favored in three of the first five weeks. I can't imagine that's happened in the last decade. Like, it had to have been a minute since Probably they were since favored that often Stafford
4: and Megatron. And yeah. then they may have been that way.
3: All right, final thing here. I mentioned earlier today that I'm lower on the Bengals than most are. Have you guys seen the stat on how many times he's been sacked this season? Or, excuse me, in his yeah, first 32 games I as a starter? That. So Andrew Luck was sacked 76 times in his first 33 games as a starting quarterback in the NFL. That includes the playoffs. David Carr, who I think is like the poster boy of the sacks, the hits, they accumulated the place of. He was never going to be able to be a legitimate franchise caliber quarterback because of what his offensive line did to him. He was sacked 101 times, so three and a half times per game Jeez. in his first 32 games in the NFL. Joe Burrow has now been sacked 115 times in his first 32 games in the league.
4: He's broken already once.
3: <laughs> like, they, I don't know what you do here because I do think part of it is him. I think he holds on to the ball longer than he should, and that's part of his superpowers. Part of what makes him great is that he can read the defenses and he finds the open man. He wants to be in empty formations because that allows more guys to get out on out the routes. He thinks he's going to be able to find them, but it also means that you've got fewer people in to block. It means that if you're holding on to the ball longer, you're more likely to take hits. I think some of this is on Joe Burrow. But some of it's also on this offensive line, man. They have got to get things going, and last week was a huge step back in that direction. I wonder if Cincinnati, you know, they spent all that money in the offseason last
2: year on defense. I wonder if it because I did they spend a lot of money on the offensive line this season? Not a lot, but they spent new a little guys, bit. Right? Yeah. I wonder if they spend even more money next year because, like, drafting wise, unless they suck to where they're going to be drafting high, finally they can get their left tackle. But yeah, I mean. As much as this is Joe Burrow, where he does make some weird decisions, this is on the offensive line. I
3: wonder if they trade for Laramie Tunsil.
4: Probably. He would make a ton of sense for Houston. He's been on the trade
3: block for uh, forever. They could trade him this year, and they could make it work money-wise. Laramie Tunsil has one year left on his contracts next season. His new team would be on the hook for $20 million. I think that's what you do if you're the Bengals.
4: Yeah, I think you have to. Yeah, that makes sense for them. And and I'm with you, BK. I don't think it's all on the offensive line because there have been times where he just holds the ball so long and puts himself in dangerous situations. But if that's the case, I don't know how you fix that. That I don't know how you fix. I think the offensive line you can fix by making upgrades in the offseason, making the trade that we're talking about, work with the offensive line coach and work on pass protection schemes and all that. But if Burrow just holds onto the ball too long, I'm just not sure there's much that you can do. And that's where I would have the fear of, Okay, well, we already saw and I the year that he tore the ACL, I think that was more the offensive line was bad Absolutely. than it was on him. But I would still have concerns about him holding on to the ball too much and putting himself in danger because that's what ultimately led to Andrew Lux. The end of his career was being dealt with injuries because he got hit so much and so often.
3: With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll have the BK and Ferrario Rewind for my final segment of the week. But coming up next, Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, joins us to talk about what he saw today out of Blues training camp as they start things up this week. We're at Centene Community Ice Center. Chris Kerber is next here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time for curbside. He shoots, they score. With the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. They score. <clears throat> Bring out the Zambo. Refreshed by Randalls, St. Louis's number one liquor store. Visit shoprandalls.com.
3: I'm Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We are broadcasting live at the ENB Granite Studio. Good to be back out here again at the Centene Community Ice Center as the Blues are kicking off their training camp week earlier today. We had media day. We had the pleasure to see Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, out here earlier today as well. You'll hear him on all the Blues broadcast right here on your Home for the Blues one-on-one ESPN. He joins us now via the Brown and celebrity line curves. We appreciate the time as always, man. How was it for you to be back out at Centine community ice center?
5: You know what I, I actually, Brandon, I, th- I think it was great. I uh, talked to a couple of guys. Uh, it'll be back to kind of pre COVID scenarios where you go into the room to interview players after practices, after games uh, on, on practice days on morning skates. And, and I think it's going to be to the great benefit of the fans because for the last two years, to no fault of anybody, uh, really at all, but because of COVID, you know, we've really been restricted to only talking to a couple of players a day, and that's in a media setting where, you know, typically you just can't get the kind of information that I think we're used to delivering for players and so, uh, or for fans rather. So the fact that you know we're able to do that again, I I, I so enjoyed interviewing about fourteen different players today on different topics and uh, it it got my blood pumping, getting ready to get back out there
2: on the same way. Curbs, it got me excited for Saturday's first preseason game. Mm. I'm going to make a bold prediction here. Curbs and tell me if you agree with this. No Nola Chari is going to be a fan favorite because we were doing our video shoots out here and we we had him kind of, you know, point at the camera and toss a puck in the air and when we asked him to point at the camera he said, "Well, I'm not going to point with this finger because this is my broken one." Nola Chari I think is going to be a fan favorite.
5: You know what uh, I think and it, it does it goes without saying to be honest with you that when you look at somebody that plays the style of game that he played or plays rather and Just, you know, the fact that he brings that that work-pail effort to the rink every single day, that's something that in St. Louis has has always been appreciated. You know, and for a guy that was undrafted, played three years at Providence College, you know, you're talking just a few years ago, right before COVID started, he had put up a 20-goal campaign with the Florida Panthers. Now, the Blues aren't looking for him to do that. Uh, They don't need for him to do that. But they just need to go out and play a very solid, smart, checking control game uh, in the bottom six. And that's a player that can exactly do that. I think the Blues will really like uh, watching this guy play.
3: Curbs, I am curious, as you came out here today and you started getting the juices flowing on what this season's going to be like for the St. Louis Blues, what were the questions that came to mind? What were the things that you're like, man, I, I can't wait to be able to find this out about this team?
5: You know what, I talked to uh, about 14 different players this morning asking questions along the lines of, you know, Ryan O'Reilly approaching 1,000 games and and neighbors and, you know, what, what they're looking for in camp and what they've learned before and how they need to make their mark. I talked to players about, you know, just playing with some different guys over the years, increased roles, you know, what, what Jordan Cairo is thinking going in and, and not trying to, you know, earn that big contract in one year and just staying within himself. Things along those kind of lines is what I was most curious to hear about. And listen, there could be a lot of excitement this year, guys. I I think when I look at the way the defensive core is set up and yeah, that's a hit losing Marco Scandella without a doubt for six months, but there's still some really good, tremendous depth. And when you hear Justin Falcon, Colton Parico, and these guys just describe this defensive group and the veteran nature of it, they're going to be really hard to play against. You know, one of the things I talked to a lot of the guys today about was, you know, if, if you remember at times last year, guys, for some reason, we, go, like in every interview I seem to do a, across different places, I'd get asked a lot about Colton Pareco. Holy smokes, when, when I ask all these different, you know, players, just how good some of these other guys are by name, and I mentioned Colton Pareco. holy moly, when, when they talk about it, they go, they go, it's just that size, the speed, his skill, what he gets through what he's doing against the other opponents, Uh, talking to Colton himself about what he learned in that short time playing with Jay Bomeester, you know, and how that carries through him today, that there's so many great storylines and positives, but Ryan O'Reilly could hit a thousand games. Colton Pareko's two games shy of 500. Robert Bortuzzo could hit 500 games. Nick Letty could hit 700 games. Uh, Braden Shen could hit 800 games. You, you've got a lot of experience on this hockey team as some guys rack up some milestones, and all that's exciting for this year.
2: Curves. I'm glad you brought up uh, Colton Pareko because we talked with Ken Danico earlier in the show and just asked him kind of, you know, the view on Colton Pareco and, you know, he mentioned the second half being better for Pareko last season than the first half. How beneficial do you think it's going to be for him this season to know who his pairing mate is all season? Because we're under the assumption it's going to be Nick Letty.
5: Well, okay, first off, guys, yeah, you're you're right, Alex, that he did, you know, he did have different, you know, partners out there. Really, except for the 2021 season where he was banged up. This guy has been a sturdy, steady workhorse for the team. And he played at 23 and a half minutes last year, you know, which is the most over the course of a season that he had played. I'm going to tell you, I had a conversation after a road game last year in Calgary with Mike Van Ryan. I got on the bus. Mike was the only co- uh, person on the bus at the time after the game. We were heading back to the hotel. Uh, I think we were flying out of Calgary the next day. And, and I looked at him and I said, Ryan, help me out here. I go, I'm getting asked on almost every show I'm doing something about Colton Pareco. I go, he's leading the team in average uh, minutes per game at even strength. He's on the ice every single time uh, against the other team's top players. Most of the times he's, he's on the ice for a faceoff." It's on the defensive half of the ice, you know, not the offensive half. Is there something with this game I'm missing? And Mike Van Ryan said he is having an unbelievable season. He goes, and if we were not as deep on defense and he was getting more power play time, this guy would easily have over 50 points and we'd be talking about one of the top defensemen in the league. He goes, it's only those that don't see him play shift in, shift out that think that something's missing. He goes, he is turning into one of the top defensemen in the league and becoming one of the real guys. That players don't like to play against. And I asked Brandon Saad today, what was it like trying to come in and play against Colton Pareko? He says, I absolutely hated it. He goes, you couldn't get around him the big stick. You just tried to work it to somebody else and break free. So I am I'm, I'm excited that if those pairings do work out that way and you've got that veteran group and he settles in there, I, I would expect fantastic things. And the only reason I say that is because he's delivered nothing but fantastic things. I mean, even last year, guys, L- last year, if I remember looking at this right yesterday, I think he, he had 35 points last year and that was a tight, a career high in points for him. He, even he, that's even more points than he had the two years that he had 10 goals on the season. So I think the word there, there's there's concerns or question marks in my mind with guys on a team. That guy is not one of them without a doubt. Curves, final question
3: that I've got for you. We got the unfortunate news uh, the other day that Marco Scandella is going to be out for at least the next six months with the hip issue that occurred about a month ago as he was getting ready for the upcoming NHL season. He's going to get that repaired, and they, they say that the the reevaluation period is not even for another six months. So the likelihood is, at least based on our understanding, he'll go on LTIR, and that opens up about $3 million in cap space for the Blues. Now, I, I'm curious, do you think they use that now? Would they consider whether it be a trade or going out there and acquiring somebody that is still available, although the, the free agent list is... Uh, there's not a whole lot left at this point. Do you think they use that now, or do they keep that, hold it until we get to uh, the trade deadline and use that then?
5: It's a, I, I think it's a, a really good question that you asked there, Brandon, because if, if you look at guys right now, I, I don't think you need to be looking at any forwards at the moment. You, you've you committed with what you did with Kairu and Thomas. You've committed to needing the impact of a neighbor's a bullduke or another young Florida, Logan Brown, for example, to really fill the role of, for this team. So your one thought is do you use it on defense? Okay, you go to the free agent market and you look, there's Danny DeKaiser, he's a left defenseman. Calvin DeHaan is out there. Both those guys are over are over 30 years of age. You do have some veteran guys like a, a Thomas Hickey or a, a Scott Harrington. You know, Chris Russell, who, who's, you know what, he's got to be 35, 36. He's still out there, you know, and a shot-blocking guy. But the thing that you have right now is you have a situation where with Scandella out, you still have the top four we just mentioned mm-hmm. of Falk, Krug, Letty, Pareko, then there's Bortuzzo. By the way, the guy that's least amount of service time out of all those players in terms of years, that's Pareko. Then you've got Perunovic, you've got Mikola, and you've got Callie Rosen to fill into one spot. You could still break camp with eight defensemen, as Doug Armstrong alluded to, without having to go out and get somebody. I think you've got to give Nikola and Perunovic a chance. I don't see the need to go out and get somebody right now, and I think that that cap space, if it helps you build more cap space as the season goes along, I think that's going to be extraordinarily valuable down the road. My my instinct says you're 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 going into camp and into games as is right now and you're going to conserve as much space as you can.
2: Kerb, uh, just a follow up to that. I, I know you mentioned not really looking at the forward position and the, the one player that I've brought up a lot, and I think I might have asked you about this guy in the past, is uh, Puli Yarvi with Edmonton. And the only reason I bring it up is because it's been compared. I think Mark Spector had a piece on this. Um, they've they've talked about how he's one of those guys like a Nechushkin where it just seems like he needs a change of scenery where Nachushkin went from Dallas to Colorado and Puli Yarvi out of Edmonton. With that cap space, do you even think it's worth kicking the tires there?
5: Nope. No. I don't think so, at least not right now, for the reasons that I just said. You know, he's got a cap hit this season of three million dollars. You'd have to trade for him, and I know, I know that that he's young, you know, and but he's been in it. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that a guy like Pugiyarvi needs a change of scenery than what they've had in, in in Edmonton. But if you think that he's got that kind of a that kind of skill, you're going to want him somewhere in your top six. You're looking at a top up top nine right now. That's pretty doggone good and extremely deep. And then you're just gonna you're gonna try to bide some time because you know Toropchenko when he comes back, he's gonna be on the, on that bottom row for you. I mean, right now, you guys, you're talking about a, a third line that could potentially have Ivan Barbashev, who was a 60 point player, Braden Shen, who since he came to the St. Louis Blues has more points than any other player over the last uh, five seasons, I believe it is. And and potentially a Logan Brown or a Jake Neighbors. I just just don't see the need for something like that with what you currently have uh, on the roster. I just, you know, does somebody falter and maybe open the door for need? Does somebody get hurt? Maybe. I just think you're deep enough right now that you don't need to make that move and that cap space is more valuable down the road. He's
3: Chris Kerber, voice of the blues. Always appreciate him hopping on with us today. It was good to see him out here at the Centene Community Ice Center once again. Kerbs, we appreciate the time as always, man.
5: We'll talk with you again next time. All right, guys. Awesome seeing you this morning. Uh, Great work today, and we'll see you out at the rink.
3: Absolutely. Same to you. That's Chris Kerber joining us here on 101 ESPN. Hey, if you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers at 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. Alex, I guess the question that I would have, because I I totally understand where Kerbs is coming with the Jesse Pugliarvi thing. I think it really comes down to what is your level of confidence that neighbors and or Logan Brown are ready to go for that third line winger role? Because if you think they're good to go, there's no reason to bring any more forward depth into this organization. You don't need it. Yeah. If you have questions about that, and maybe this is something that gets determined based on the first week or two of of camp, uh, both for the Blues and for other teams around the NHL where they say, okay, let's find out what we've got first. And then we can determine if we need to go make a move for a guy like Paul Yarvey, who kind of know what you're getting, ups and downs, and it's going to be a a little bit of uh, topsy-turvy, but the, the production has been there in the past. I think that's what we see. Let's wait a week, and then we can talk about whether or not he makes sense. Here. And
2: real quick, I think it'd even be beyond a week. I think that's where the trade deadline conversation comes into play. I, I do believe that the reason they moved past David Perron was because they felt that Logan Brown was ready to step into a role in Jake Neighbors as well as the salary cap conversation. This could be a, hey, Brown, Neighbors, Costin, all of these guys who could play in your top nine, here's your opportunity, and if you don't take it, then guess what? Toropchenko's going to have an opportunity when he heals up. And if he can't do it, come trade deadline time, it's like what they did with um, Sanford and Blay. They gave him the whole season and said, be a top-nine player. They weren't, and then they went and traded for Pavel Buchnevich. That's going to be what happens. And if they can't get that top nine role locked down, then you spend that $3 million
3: at the trade deadline. Yeah, there's going to be options for them. That's for sure. Alex, you enjoy yourself over the next couple of days. Hey, buddy, Mark you Krensley do too. We'll be in studio with you guys out here at the Centene Community Ice Center as the Blues kick off training camp the next couple of days. I will be listening as I am out in beautiful Los Angeles, California no, with the Cardinals, trying to reverse the jinx from them. We'll talk to you guys. They'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. for Alex and Tanner, who did a great job back in the studio for us today. I'm Brandon. Talk to you guys on Monday at 11 a.m. right here on 101 ESPN.
1: You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: Peloton, let's go! This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world class instructors.